Hello, everyone, and... To Grappling with Canada, I am your host, as usual, the Taxman, and I'm very happy to welcome you all to episode two. Today, we're looking at the life and career of Dino Bravo. Now, many of you are familiar with the Dino Bravo story from the tremendous Dark Side of the Ring episode entitled The Assassination of Dino Bravo. Now, if you haven't seen this episode, I highly encourage you, after you listen to this program, obviously, don't drop what you're doing and go watch it, but... It's a great companion piece to this program because they go into a little bit more detail of the unfortunate end that we do. Not that we're trying to skirt it, but because it's uh, it's something very difficult to, to talk about. So, And much like this program, the Dark Side of the Ring episodes are not just for wrestling fans. So if you're listening to this program because you like Canadian history or you're listening to it because you want to hear more about the people that we're talking about, Same thing, right? That program does a very good job of illustrating, you know, the people behind Dino Bravo. Uh, So anyways, uh, after you listen to this program, I highly encourage you to check out that Dark Side of the Ring episode. Now, before we kick off today's episode, we have a few housekeeping items to address. TinyURL.com slash Grappling with Canada is this show's website. And on that site, as of today... You're going to see some links to books written by a couple of authors that you're going to hear later in this program. Now, now those links kick back a little eh, tiny bit, minuscule, whatever you want to call it, portion of proceeds to uh, put food on the table, if you will, here at the program. So I would highly encourage you after you listen to this program, because honestly, after you hear the guests, you're going to want to buy the books, uh, much like many of you did with Heath McCoy's book. On our first episode, he had written the essentially the Bible of Stampede Wrestling, and I know a few of you had gone out and uh, picked up that book because of the program. You're going to want to hear what they have to say, and then you're going to want to pick up their books, because they really are wrestling history royalty. And I'll, I'll be completely honest and just say that much. So, once again, tinyurl.com slash grapplingwithcanada while you're listening to this program. Hit that website. Uh, hit the links on there. And Once again, a small portion gets kicked back to this program but it doesn't add one single cent to your purchasing price in addition to that if you're listening on one of the various podcasting platforms uh, spotify google Podcasts, itunes whatever wherever you buy trade steal sell barter your favorite podcast you can find us if you can't find us let me know i'll get it to you wholesale (laughs) or you can go on youtube.com slash c slash Six-sided podcast, and I once again want to make mention, and I'm going to mention it at the end of the show as well. We are on our race to 1,000 subscribers, and when we hit that magical mark, one lucky subscriber will be winning a fantastic prize pack. And I'm probably going to start mm, dropping some little hints on on that what that prize pack entails in the coming weeks on Twitter, which you can find me at six underscore podcast. So now that we got. All the plugs out of the way from from myself personally. We're going to get into the meat of this program on the other side of... Hey everybody, Trent from Total Nonstop Impact. Impact Talk for Impact fans. The number one Impact Wrestling podcast and discussion show on the planet. Tuesday night post shows after Impact and Access TV. Thursday night TNA Asylum throwbacks. Sunday night... Impact Plus Weekly, Explosion Talk, and Open Forum, all the pay-per-views in between, and the breaking news. Whatever's happening in Impact Wrestling, we're covering it. 
Join us at Total Nonstop Impact at twitch.tv slash Total Nonstop Impact, youtube.com slash Total Nonstop Impact, and all major podcast platforms. The Wrestling Estate, pro wrestling journalism that doesn't copy and paste Dave Meltzer's work. A palace of sovereign wrestling news and interviews. Find our website at www.therestlingestate.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Wrestling EST. Follow us on Instagram at The Wrestling Estate 2019. And follow us on Facebook at The Wrestling Estate. And to contact us, call, email us at TheWrestlingEstate at gmail.com. Now, before I get any further, I just want to give a couple of special shout-outs. Uh, I was very gracious to be uh, offered the opportunity to join a couple of programs uh, the last couple of weeks. So, uh, my good friends from across the pond in Cork, Ireland had me on just because wrestling. Uh, we were talking some Impact Wrestling. We were talking about this show. Uh, we previewed the Hard to Kill pay-per-view. Uh, you can find them on Twitter at JBWrestling1991, and I'm going to put their... Uh, Twitter link in with the first round of, of uh, tweets that go out for this podcast. Uh, also, I was uh, very happy to be on the program uh, that you just heard, uh, Total Nonstop Impact with Trent and the rest of the crew, except you, Kyle. Got no love for you, Kyle. You tried to steal my gimmick. <laughs> but anyways, uh, it was a tremendous time. We talked about this program. I'm going to be joining them in a couple of weeks for one of their Impact wrestling weekly review shows and honestly they're just a fantastic group of people and, and they do so much for just the the scene of professional wrestling so definitely want to give them a follow at we talk impact and again i'm going to include them with the links uh as we uh, kind of kick off the twitter portion of the promotion of the show now we all know why we're here today we're going to talk about dino bravo now like i said at the start of the program we do discuss the end of his life. Now, I do want to make mention, and I know that some people, it's a very um, hard subject to want to discuss or talk about or listen to, and I completely understand that. I want to assure everybody that we do not, on this program, try to sensationalize it. We don't talk about it in a way that's demeaning. We don't discuss it in a way that's inappropriate and uh the two guests that you're going to hear later in this program uh Bertrand Hebert and Pat LaPrade and myself we do a very good job to talk about what happened without discussing kind of the sensational part of it and I think that's really important there's much more to Dino Bravo as you're going to hear in this program than just how it ended I, I Again, I know that we have to talk about it because it is part of the story, but I just want to make it implicitly clear to everybody that we are not talking about it in a sensational or disgusting or disturbing way. We tried very hard to to manage it as about as well as we could. So you're going to hear me in the interview itself with Pat and, and Bertrand. When we get to that part, I'm not going to lie. I had a hard time with it. And I think a lot of that is because... Look, Dino Bravo passed away in his early 40s. He had one daughter. Uh, I'm in my mid-30s. By the time I'm the same age that Dino was when he passed away, my oldest daughter will be the same age as his daughter was. So for me, it it just kind of hit, right? And I know that you're you're supposed to separate yourself from the material that you're covering, but 
I have to be honest, and because you can hear it in the audio, and I left it in because I, it's not something that I wanted to to sugarcoat or to try and make seem that you know he doesn't uh, he being me pronouns pal uh, that I don't have any emotional connection to this. I do, and it's that aspect of it that I'm emotionally connected to. Uh, so that's why I left it in. That's why we we discussed it in the, in the manner that we did and uh and I hope that everybody can respect it and I hope that everybody doesn't skip that portion of the program it's not very long but we do we do it justice and that's the nicest thing I can say about it I also am joined at the start of the program by Connor McKenna now he is the host of the morning show on TSN 690 that is the English broadcast station for uh the Montreal sports scene essentially and he does a very good job of kind of illustrating what the Montreal sports scene is like because and I talk about it in in our interview with him in our sports scene in, in Winnipeg for example yes we're very passionate we have the Winnipeg Jets we have the whiteouts if you go to a Jets game you can barely hear yourself talk if you go to a Blue Bombers game there's 35,000 people and they're going crazy right it it there's that aspect of it kind of translates to what it is like in Montreal, but there are certain subtleties that are much different between how Winnipeg is, how we view our teams, how we view our sports stars and how it is in Montreal. And you're going to hear that from Connor. And you're also going to hear that uh, from Pat and Bertrand Hebert when they, when they talk about guys like, like Dino Bravo or Edward Carpentier or Jacques Rougeau, just what these, what these, in, how these individuals mattered more in Montreal than just a Jonathan Tabes does in Winnipeg, or how you know you can you can go any sports star from any city, right? Yes, they're very important. Yes, they're not integral, but they're a part of the fabric of the of the community. But in Montreal, these people are very much of the community. They are a very large part. And not just athletes. Um, Connor brings up a fantastic point about Leonard Cohen and what he meant to the what cultural scene and how his passing kind of affected everything. So all things that we talk about in this program, uh, just to kind of give the backstory of what Montreal means, of what the people of Montreal mean to the sports scene of professional wrestling, and more importantly, what it means to the rest of Canada. Because once again, this podcast is not specifically meant for wrestling fans yes it is a wrestling centric podcast but again i'm trying to make this appeal to or be accessible to i guess is a better way to say it to to everybody we all can do a little bit better by learning a little bit more of where we came from why things are the way they were or are um who the people were that influenced a lot of the a lot of the things that we see nowadays so it's very important to learn, not just Canadians, but internationally as well. So once again, everybody, thank you for joining the program. We're going to get into this. Um, our first clip that you're going to hear leads directly into my conversation with Connor. Now, in this clip from the CBC, it's from 2005. So this is at a time when the NHL lockout was in effect. And uh, <laughs> hockey is, to say it's a big part of Canada, is uh, quite the understatement. So this program was highlighting a look back at the Montreal riots. Uh, now, for historical context, these riots took place after Maurice Richard was suspended by the NHL for actions against the referee. And uh, to say that the fans in Montreal did not take it well is uh, is an understatement. 
the reason I'm including this in the program is because it kind of gives a nice backstory or a nice backdrop of what we get into with Connor McKenna. Uh, just the the temperature and tenor of the fans in Montreal. So I'm going to play this clip and then we're going to get into the interview with Connor McKenna. Even with no NHL teams to cheer on this winter, hockey fans remain a passionate lot, always eager to show their colors. But the fervor of recent times pales with what we saw 50 years ago today. It started out as a hockey game in Montreal, but it ended up being known as the Richard Riot. And along the way, went from the sports page to the front page to the history books. Michel Godbout reports. Jules Bélanger sits in what used to be the Montreal Forum. Fifty years ago, at 19 years old, he was in the same spot, watching the Canadians play without Maurice Rocket Richard. We were not in the game that night. Neither the hockey players, neither the fans. Voici Rocket Richard. A few nights before, Richard was on the ice. The Canadians were playing a rough game in Boston. A fight broke out. The Rocket hit a referee while fighting with another player. For that, NHL President Clarence Campbell suspended him for the season and the playoffs. On March 17th, Richard watched from the stands and so did Campbell. At the level of the people, the reaction of the fan was a very gut-feeling reaction, very emotional feeling. They've touched our hero, they've touched Richard. Red Story refed that game. You knew something was going to happen, but you didn't know what. And... Uh... He, he should, Campbell should not have been at the game, and if he had not been at the game, we would have had no riot. But he dared the public. And Canadians fans took up the dare. That bomb, that tear gas bomb exploded in the exit. Everybody got scared, and the forum went empty. So you had 15, 16,000 people all of a sudden in the street at the same time. On the side, the rioting raged on for hours. 16 people were arrested and fined $25 each, a week's salary at the time. Eight policemen and 25 fans were injured. Damages totaled $100,000. And all this happened at a time when Quebec's economy was being managed mostly by English Canadians. Some say the Richard riot signaled the coming of age of French Canadians. Campbell, the Anglophone, suspending Richard, the Francophone hero, was simply the last straw. Michel Godbout, CBC News, Montreal. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined this afternoon by the host of the morning show in TSN 690 in Montreal, uh, Connor McKenna. Thank you for joining the program today. Yeah, good to be with you. I, I'm very happy to have you today, especially considering we were talking off air, the, the plethora of, uh, of guests you had to talk about Montreal sports this morning. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, well, it's uh, Fridays are always a, a crazy day, right? You got the weekend to look forward to, and right now we're in uh, we're in full blown uh, sports mode. We've got what Super Bowl is a week away. We've got the NHL and NBA seasons underway. You, the Royal Rumble is this weekend. If you're yes. into that sort of thing, uh, what am I forgetting? There's all kinds of stuff. There's there's news, and it's fun. It's uh, after what we went through from April to what was it i guess june july last year it's nice to have a lot of stuff going on yeah it's a lot better to talk about actual sports than conjecture of such uh, for yourself being on a sporting program uh yeah dead air is is not not the way to go for sure 
know what though? We we last year it was it was a challenge, but it was actually really fun and in a way kind of liberating not to have to watch sports for a while. As much as I do love watching sports, it's nice to sort of not feel like I necessarily have to spend three hours every night doing it. Um, but I'm, I'm glad it's back for sure. You and, and most Canadians, especially on the hockey side of things, and that's kind of wanna, why I wanted to bring you on the program today, because for the international audience and even Canadians you know, west of Ontario, we often hear that the sports scene in Montreal is different. Everything is, the crowds are different. Uh, the atmosphere is different. The anticipation is different. But we often don't get to hear why it's different. What makes Montreal so special? We, obviously there's a huge following for the Montreal Canadiens, especially uh, outside of Montreal. If you, you go to a Winnipeg Jets game, for example, and, and the, the the old barn is uh, almost 50% Montreal Canadiens jersey is pretty impressive. But I just wanted to get your take as someone uh, who obviously covers sports in Montreal. Just what makes the atmosphere there so special? What is so different with the Montreal crowds that, that you don't seem to find in uh, the rest of Canada and uh, especially in international markets? It's a complicated question. I mean, I can't answer as if I know for sure. Um, I, I certainly have my theories on, on the topic. Uh, part of it, I think, is history. It's just that uh, Montreal has been... It's an old city. It's a much older city than the, the other ones that you just referred to. And the Canadians are an older team than uh, a lot of the teams that, that, that play in this country. And so you have a lot of... Uh, just the, the history is, is a huge part of it, I think. Um, and Montreal's not... Uh, it's not as... Uh, I'd say it's like the least stuck-up Canadian city, in a way. <laughs> um, and I think the French, the whole French thing is a big part of that. Uh, but it's always, it's been, right? Like, Montreal, I think most people would probably, most reasonable people who have spent time here would agree that it's like, it's the most fun city in Canada, um, by and large, right? Like, Toronto is, it's, there's fun to be had in Toronto, for sure, but... I don't think most people are like, you know, I'm going to do my bachelor party in Toronto. Like, I'm sure people do that, and good for you. But um, Montreal, there's a reason people do stuff like that, or a bachelorette or whatever else. Um, it's just, it's a more fun city. It's a more relaxed city. The bars stay open later. Uh, the laws tend to be a little bit more relaxed. Uh, people in general are a little bit more relaxed. There's this sort of European flavor that I do. I think, you know, Toronto is, and it always has been kind of known as this sort of a bit more of a stuck up, uh, type city. Uh, and frankly, English versus French, I think French Canadians, and I don't want to speak for all French Canadians, but I would say that there's a feeling amongst French Canadians that Anglo Anglos and, and rest of Canada types are maybe a little bit less fun, a, a bit less willing to have fun, not as off the wall or uh, comfortable with themselves. Um, and yeah, I think stuck up is probably the right word. I work in a in a in an environment that mixes both French and English, right? There's so, six radio stations that operate on the floor that I work on at Bell, and two of them are French. Uh, so it's kind of this unique English French uh, work environment. And uh, I, you know, they're just way more loud and have way more <laughs> fun and laugh way more and drink mimosas in the morning and. We're just not like that, you know, um, and I think it's a good illustration, but I think you do, I think you see that a little bit in uh, when it comes to the representation of the, of the hockey team. It's just, Montreal is just different. It's, it's, 
it's not like any other place in Canada, and I think it does kind of manifest itself when it comes to the support of the team. Now, it's not just the team. I often find that sports stars that come out of Montreal are much more celebrated than sports stars that come from other parts of the country. Like, for instance, I'm in Winnipeg, so we have, you know, you have Jonathan Taves, you have a wrestler like Chris Jericho, you have uh, homegrown CFL stars like Andrew Harris. They're celebrated, but it, it often doesn't seem to be at the same level as as people from Montreal would celebrate somebody like Maurice Richard or somebody like um, GSP or somebody like Patrick Waugh. It, it almost seems like maybe it is kind of what you're saying, that the whole they're more fun aspect, maybe because they're more personable to that audience, that audience is more receptive to to kind of falling more in love with them. I, I don't know if that's a proper way to say it, but that's kind of the way it seems to me at least. There's, you know, I think part of it too is this this fierce nationalist pride that exists here in a way that I'd say that French Quebecers are proud of their own heroes in a way that's different from other provinces um, because of the, the fact that I think that it's it's so insular to begin with, right? I mean, imagine you're surrounded on all sides, uh, north, south, east, west, by English. Um, and it's this place that's just sort of managed to stay French, uh, by and large, uh, for such a long period of time. And I do, I think there is... I mean, I can't speak to this for sure, but there is there's something about Quebecois for Quebecers, especially French-speaking Quebecers, and successful ones, and especially GSP being a great example of this. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the football player, is another one recently of like guys who people who go out and make the the province proud on an international stage. Yes, e- even more so, and, and the hockey players. I think we could get into sort of a different discussion. But it's, but it's, there is really a huge, huge amount of pride. I think much the way we feel as Canadians, proud of, of amazing Canadians and Canadians who do amazing things, that Quebecers sort of do have that feeling. Uh, I'm trying to think what would be a good example of a Canadian that we all just are so proud of and, and happy about and everybody agrees upon. Um, would probably be someone like Gretzky, I would assume. Sure, yeah, I, I guess so. And, and, you know, I mean, a good example. So, so... Right, Gretzky, and he's a legend. One name, one number, 99. Yes. And in Quebec, we have our own Gretzky. Mario, yes. one name, one number, 66, right? And and I think that sort of speaks to it a little bit for sure. And if you ask, if you were to go across Canada and say, do a survey, asking somebody in every province or a bunch of people in every province who the greatest hockey player of all time is, you'd get Gretzky in every province. And I'm pretty sure in Quebec, you'd probably get like 60% of people saying that it's Mario. <laughs> I would say, and I, I'm not even French, I would say Mario personally, my, my favorite. I guess the other part, and it's funny you mentioned the, the passion part of it. Uh, a couple of my guests later in the program are, they are um, big proponents of the of the Quebecois scene, if you will, for lack of a better term, of the French-Canadian wrestling scene. And hearing them in our conversations about Dino Bravo you could you can just hear the excitement you can you can just the the level of excitement when they're talking about uh what Dino did or they're talking about someone like Edward Carpentier or whatever just you can hear it in their voice you can feel it in the interview just how excited they are to talk about the history of Montreal what these guys mean and meant to them it's yeah like you said it's it's something else <laughs> 
Yeah, there's like a Dino Bravo mural on a, just a random wall that I used to, uh, where I used to live in St. Henry, southwest Montreal. And there's this weird mural in the middle of a residential neighborhood of Dino Bravo. I think it says Lash <laughs> à la Patate. I, have no, I don't know what it means, but I used to walk by it every day on my way to the metro. It was funny. And again, kind of ties into, you know, things that you don't normally see. Like, I know that there's like one one mural in Winnipeg of Billy Mozienko on, on his uh, on his bowling alley. But there's even t- things like that you don't really see here. Yes, we have murals. I'm not saying that we're not cultured here or anything like that. But not of, of sports or, or sports stars, not of people who are integral to the kind of fabric of the of the community. Not like you you would see in Montreal. And I've, I've been to Montreal, I think the last time I was in Montreal, I think it was 2008. And, uh, it's, it's such a wild city. Like, it, uh, well, I shouldn't just speci- specifically say Montreal, but a- any city in, in Quebec, it's just, it feels so timeless. Like the way the streets are designed, the way the architecture is just the, everything is just so, it's so interesting. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to describe. I, I couldn't imagine living there. Like the, the kinds of things that you've probably seen from city to city has got to be incredible. Uh, yeah, I love Montreal. I've been lucky to like do quite a lot of traveling, whether for work or just because of my life, because I like to travel. Uh, and Montreal's amazing, man. It's a great city. I'm always happy to come home. I don't know how cold it is in Winnipeg today, but it is cold today in Montreal. It's like minus 25 with the wind or something, although it's probably worse in Winnipeg. Uh, but that's part of it, right? I mean, it's it's part of it's part of. And then I'm sure you'd say the same about Winnipeg is that, yeah, the cold is awful. I mean, who can make a case for minus 37 with the wind chill? It's terrible. I mean, no matter how you slice it, but it's you, it's, it's part of the character. It's part of what makes a place great. Everybody's sort of in it together and you find a way to, uh, to overcome it. So you can exchange sort of a knowing glance with the other people that are out walking their dogs in this terrible weather, that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, big part of it's the history if you haven't been here since 2008, it's changed a lot, but it's also very much the same as it was. I can't wait to see how we sort of come out of the pandemic, assuming that that ever happens. Um, <laughs> but the murals and stuff, like there's more, there's these great, huge Leonard Cohen murals that have gone up since he died. Uh, an amazing Jackie Robinson mural off St. Laurent Boulevard wow. that's really, really cool. He's got a history, there's a history, he played minor league baseball here before he uh, played for the Dodgers. Um but it is, there is, there's like a, there's a, and, and the city does a great job of it, is, is promoting the culture. Uh, and the culture can be a great artist like Leonard Cohen or an amazing athlete like Jackie Robinson. And there is a kind of a, a, a way that, that they do it here, that, that these things can kind of intersect in a really organic way. Um, that people, even if you're not a sports fan, you can certainly appreciate Jackie Robinson. Um, oh, definitely, and just, yeah. And just to see an amazing... Uh, some artists put up this amazing mural of the guy right actually right next to this uh, maybe a block away from this uh, this this amazing Leonard Cohen thing that, that somebody put up it's a great illustration of how sports kind of can sort of transcend and, and, and certain athletes and it's not all of them, but you've mentioned a couple of them already uh, can really sort of just become immortals uh, in in this city uh, just uh, as a uh, touchback to the weather portion i think we're about the same temperature today although uh the past few days it was uh oh what did we hit i think our high was minus 35 or so 
we're in like our that's this is our time of the year where it gets pretty brutal like that but i mean like you said it it, it builds character if you will so there's that I, to look I, forward I honestly to. though I, I do wonder about this sometimes when i'm talking about winnipeg when i'm like okay so patrick line doesn't want to be there anymore and it's like oh like why is that it's like well is it that crazy to suggest that because hockey season coincides with winter that's because from what I've heard, and to be fair, I've never been to Winnipeg, uh, but I've heard great things about Winnipeg in the summer and Lake Winnipeg in the summer. And Manitoba is a beautiful province with a ton to offer for sure. But like, if I have the option to live there in January or live in fucking anywhere else, I'm going to choose to live anywhere else. Yeah. If, if I'm a millionaire with like options, it's who wants to be in minus 40 degree weather? Um, but, you know, we're Canadians and we accept it and our family settled where they settled and we ended up where we ended up. But I do wonder sometimes because you'll never hear them say this, right? It's not like a hockey player is going to be like, yeah, you know what? Me and my wife just, we can't deal with the climate. It's too much for us because they'll get absolutely roasted for oh, it. Oh, they would get It's not inconceivable that people feel this way. I'm trying to f- phrase this politically, <laughs> but I don't think there's a way to do it. There's a... There's an old episode of The Simpsons with a sign on one of the, I don't remember what the exact context of the episode, but the sign says, we're from Winnipeg, what's your excuse? And that's kind of like, that's that's hitting the nail on the head, right? Why sports stars would would choose to be here almost is, is uh, an interesting, I, I guess, when you're drafted to a team and you have to play for them, but sure. The line situation... Uh, I, I don't know what all went behind there. I, I read some articles um, that he had done some interviews with uh, with some of the Finnish newspapers, and there was some kind of problem between him, Shifley, and Wheeler. I'm not sure, and I don't want to speak off off color about that. But I think it was it's him and Shifley. I mean, that's that's my understanding that that people haven't really got on the record with it, but that him and Shifley just. Were, were fire nice um and i don't know if maybe wheeler too but he's been more diplomatic about it but like they never played together or they when they did it was early days but they haven't played together for years and shife apparently shife was like I, I won't play with the guy anyway that's that's what i've heard from like some pretty plugged in people yeah that's that's you're not far off at least definitely from what i've heard as well and then yeah what what line said in the in the finnish newspapers kind of corroborates that as well and i and, and listen i don't mean to suggest that line a wanted to leave because of the weather um but the uh i think the thing of it is and i'm sure that uh, you know as a, as a winnipegger that you can relate to this is that in montreal too like our weather shit and the media is the scrutiny is is crazy right i mean you have no no anonymity everyone knows who you are yeah uh, everyone knows who lives next door yada 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 and it's not for everybody, but for the guys that, that do embrace it, it makes the fans love them so much more, right? Um, and I think that's true in Montreal, uh, with, with whether it's the Canadians or any other sport. And it's, I'm sure, true in Winnipeg as well. It's like, yeah, you're one of us. You have chosen to sign a long-term contract and spend your winters here with us. and that They love you for it. They'll, 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 they'll always love you for it, and it's a great thing. Yeah, when uh, when Wheeler signed this, his seven year deal, you know, like people are throwing babies in the air. Like it, it was a big. This guy wants to stay here for seven years. It's a big deal, right? Because he's now accepted being here. He's he's one of us. It, just like you said, right? It now it, it's really building that kind of sense of community, where yeah, he's he's a good player and he's a great ambassador for the team and and all that kind of good stuff. But until you 
sign your name on the dotted line for an extended amount of time and you, you know, kind of prove, quote-unquote, that you want to be here, right? Those are the kinds of things that really resonate with fans and really get them excited to to, to call that player their their own, for example. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, uh, I, I hope... Pierre-Luc Dubois succeeds and uh, and uh, decides he wants to stay. I know his dad's there, the AHL team. Yes. Um, but it's, yeah, especially because of what happened out there, losing the team the way that they did, that was that was pretty dirty. Uh, you know, great that, that you guys got a team back, but uh, you do, you want to see uh, you want to see some success, man. Uh, those sports, those fans deserve it. It's it's the one of the best buildings in the league and, uh, and the, the sort of atmosphere is legendary. So I, I and it's I, it's funny because this is uh this is a program about Dino Bravo and wrestling, but it's more than that. This is a, a program about Montreal, what it means, like what what that city means, what these people mean, right? People often conflate things like, oh, you know, it's this guy was only a hockey player, or this guy was only a wrestler, or this guy was only a mixed martial arts fighter. There's so many different layers and there's so many different opportunities and ways that these people kind of connect and get people excited and motivated, however you want to say it, to uh, to be a part of the community and, and guys that can go above and beyond to translate um, their culture, whether it's French-Canadian, whether it's you know Winnipeg or, or the stuck-up Toronto, for example, uh, the, that they can kind of promote that culture abroad it just it it really does a good job of of showcasing what those communities have to offer and then obviously showcasing what what the people from those communities have to offer as well it's interesting that we can talk just about sports in general but then go on a tangent of the arts or go on a tangent of anything else everything kind of intersects and and kind of meets up with itself if you will It, it doesn't matter what walk of life you are it doesn't matter like or or the weather for example right all these things that we have as shared experiences of as canadians just it's so interesting to me that you know we have the things that we go through in winnipeg are similar to the things that you go through in in montreal but are different on subtle levels obviously just i don't know to me it's just the more i do this program the more it's fascinating to just talk about or talk with different people and and hear their shared experiences and different viewpoints of what it is to be Canadian essentially it's true and and it's it's also kind of depressing to me in a way not what you're describing but the fact that in many ways it seems like we're more disconnected than than ever before and like the the pandemic has really driven this home but but it's just how people are so insular in so many ways like the internet I think has really done it to people too where they they really get into their own sort of corner politically or whatever rabbit hole they want to go into. And then they find other people that feel the same way, whatever side of the spectrum they might be on. And, and then they just, they get really, they just become kind of awful and, and, and stop. They don't realize of that other people are much more like them than, than they are different from them. And I, it's, it's kind of an upsetting thing for me to think about, but it's, I, I do find it's just become more and more true where it's like people seem to empathize with one another less than ever before. But it's like, oh, yeah, well, it's Toronto, you know, fuck up. <laughs> like, what? Like, what's, why? Like, what, what is it? Why did, what is it that you have a problem with people from Toronto? Like, have you ever even been there? It's like, well, no, but. Uh, That's know, always it. Hey, it. no, it's but. Like, 
right. Okay, great. It's 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 a shame, and and I blame the internet in, in large part. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we have to use the internet to uh, get this pro- program out there. Hey, so. <laughs> there's, very, there's very good things about the internet too, right? I mean, it's just uh, there are there are drawbacks. Ask anybody who's into QAnon or whatever. Oh God, yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole other program in itself to go into kind of bullshit like that. Uh, listen, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'm sure you're obviously looking forward to uh, uh, some kind of a weekend. I don't in Montreal. You guys are kind of in a lockdown right now with uh, with COVID nineteen. Um, like I said, the guests that I had, uh, talked to, and you're going to hear them later on the program. Uh, they were uh, very happy to be talking to me after their eight p.m. curfew because they can't do anything else. So. I'm locked down with my dog here. <laughs> yeah, for, for uh, yeah, you guys can't see because this is uh, audio oh. only. But uh, yeah, he's got a gorgeous puppy on on his lap right now. So yeah, that's uh, a <laughs> it's something nice to be locked down with for sure. <laughs> hey, listen, Connor. Uh, thank you very much for joining the program. Um, where can uh, where can everybody go to find you? Get in touch with you. Um. Uh, TSN690.ca is the website for the radio station that I work for. I'm actually launching a podcast, but we're still sort of working on the details. Uh, okay. But we're, we should have that going on in the next week or two. Uh, and on Twitter at McKenna Connor, Instagram at McKenna Connor. And uh, yeah, thanks for the invite, Andy. I appreciate it, man. Hey, when that when that podcast gets live, let me know. And I will, I will be sure to get it up uh, for everybody to check out. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Okay, thanks, man. Have a great day. Cheers. Before we move into the early life portion of the Dino Bravo story, I'm going to play this audio clip. Now, this is from 1990. In the audio clip, he's actually wearing a Montreal Canadiens jersey with Bravo number one on the back, which is tremendous. Just really showcasing his love for the Montreal Canadiens, which you're going to hear a lot of when we're talking to Bertrand Ebert and Pat LaPray later on in the episode. But I'm going to play this audio, and then we're going to get to the early life portion of Dino Bravo story. Bravo number one! That's right, the bunkhouse brawl in the Boston Gardens! There are no rules! I can cross-check, I can high-stick, I can do whatever I want to people like the Hart Foundation, Tugboat, Hacksaw Jim Duggan! That's right! And as you all well know, the Montreal Canadiens always kick the butts of the Boston Bruins! And it's not going to be any different! Because yes, I'm winning the jersey, I'm going to win the bunkhouse brawl, and that's a promise from Earthquake 2! Aldolfo Bresciano was born in southern Italy to Mario and Acilio Bresciano. Uh, the family immigrated to Canada when Bresciano was young. They settled in a neighborhood of Montreal, and he started his amateur wrestling training at the age of 12. Now, after he had started his training under Gino Brito, uh, he started his career in Montreal in the 1970s, getting the name Dino Bravo from Gino Brito. Uh, that was the name of one of his uh, former tag team partners. Uh, in the 1970s, he was wrestling for Lute Internationale. He became one of the top professional wrestling stars of Canada. He won major titles across Canada, across the United States, throughout the NWA, uh, the Canadian Championships, and championships in the WWF. He won uh, tag team titles with Dominic DiNucci in the WWF, and he was the sole holder of the WWF Canadian Championship when they had tried to develop that title before they abandoned it in 1986. Now, to discuss further about the career and life of Adolfo Bresciano, a.k.a. Dino Bravo, 
Uh, you're going to hear Pat LaPrade and Bertrand Bear, my conversation with them on the other side of this interview of Dina Bravo. Japan. Now, as one who has wrestled against this giant individual, would you say that it is fair to say that Abdullah is, as he has always been described, the wildest man in professional wrestling? Yes, he probably is because, you know, uh, the thing that's a shame about it, you know, that, that we try to regulate some rules out there and Abdullah's the first one to break him and, and sometimes it happens within the first minute of the match. But promoters sometimes would, don't uh, dislike the situation, seem like people like those situations, they like those wild matches, they like brutal matches and Abdullah is certainly a master of that. He is certainly a brutal individual. How do you combat a man that's that powerful and that big, 450 pounds? I mean, it was obvious an awful lot of punishment, as did he during the match we just witnessed. Well, I think my chances were good to beat him. I've beat him before, and I think Abdullah's like anybody else. He's a human being. He feels the pain just as much as we do. It's just to go out there and not fear the man and be aggressive as much as you can, and hopefully not to get hurt before you hurt him. And that's the only way to look at it, at a match going into Abdullah the Butcher. Have you ever been involved in a bloodier match than we've just seen? I don't recall involving a bloodier match than that, but I've been... I recall tougher matches than that probably because I like to wrestle. My style is to be to go in there and uh, wrestle. I would have to do is just strictly a brawl. But like I said before, he mastered that situation. He, 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 he has to admit that he's good at that. Well, you know, it's interestingly enough, for a man who weighs, as you do approximately, in the 250-pound range, you have had significant success over the years wrestling against men the size of Abdullah, the Jerry Blackwells, etc. Yeah, I love to wrestle bigger guys than I do. I maybe I psych myself out of those situations. I like to wrestle the big guy and see if I have success that way. And hopefully I'll continue with that direction. Well, you know, I can't understand how you'd want to get into a ring with a man like Abdullah the Butcher. It was a wild one, I'll tell you. Folks, relax or whatever. There's a lot more action coming. All right, I'm very happy to be joined on the program now with the two authors from... Uh, the book Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs, The Untold Story of How Montreal Shaped the World of Wrestling, Mr. Pat LaPrade and Mr. Bertrand Hebert. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to start with yourself, Bertrand. What in the world gave you guys the inspiration to write this book? Well, we're, we're two big wrestling fan we were involved in the current local scenes uh for years uh pat had the idea uh to begin with uh, uh to shine a light on those years and those people that before they were all gone uh there was a concept of the 25 greatest uh, wrestlers from the province of quebec and it started from there uh, i was lucky enough to join the project as uh, he went along as uh, his original partner had to bailout uh from there i mean it's just been a roller coaster which led us to writing maurice maddock vachon's biography me leading to uh, write the pat patterson biography with him um and then during that time pat wrote the queen's the sisterhood of the square circle book uh, and recently it led us to the eighth wonder of the world the true story of Henry the giant so, I mean, it's really a passion project from the start to shine a light on those guys before it's too late, before we cannot speak to a Gino Brito, before we could not speak anymore to Pat Patterson, or before we could uh, uh, not speak to all of those incredible storytellers uh, from an era that, that we'll, we'll never see again. 
I find that such an interesting point because that was really the premise of starting this program because myself, speaking for myself, I'm 35. So I feel like it's it's my generation and it's, it's the men and women in their you know early 30s, in their 20s who really need to do the research and start understanding who these people were in Canadian wrestling history and, and the parts they played. Um, you know, whether it's Dino Bravo, whether it's Pat Patterson, who didn't just invent the Royal Rumble. I know that's the common misconception, and you wrote a fantastic book on that. But it, it's just, if if we are not carrying on the legacy of who these people were, then it's unfortunately going to get lost to the sands of time. Um, Pat, for yourself, uh, I know obviously you had a huge part to do with this book, but you also had a huge part to play in the Dark Side of the Ring episode on uh on dino bravo as well correct on dino bravo yeah yeah i, I mean uh, when the crew contacted me um i mean it, it wasn't it, it wasn't close to being you know dark side of the ring you know we, i still didn't know what it was i'm not even sure the guys knew uh, all of what it would become you know because i i i true uh, i truly believe that dark side of the ring is the best uh, wrestling documentary series uh, that's ever you know that's ever been done. Uh, but when they contacted me, it was in 2018, and we didn't know what 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 it would be. All all they told me was that you know they were doing um, a few documentaries for um, for for uh, on wrestling, and they had done a few already, and now they wanted to do. Uh, they they knew it was on you know the darker side of wrestling and everything, but uh, it it wasn't what it it, it became, and uh, and so I put them in touch with uh, all the people that needed to be talked to about Dino Bravo here in Montreal. So obviously, obviously Gino Brito, who knew Dino from. Uh, from when he was uh, just a small kid, uh, and who you know, uh, you know, uh, obviously teamed with with Dino for for the longest time, and you know was partner with him in international wrestling uh, during the uh, 1980s. Uh, Tony Muley, who was uh, a very close friend to Dino, he's the godfather of his uh, of his only uh, only daughter, and uh, he was also. Uh, partner with uh, he was a promoter for the longest time here in Montreal and and a partner as well in international wrestling by the end of uh, of the promotion uh, and um, and of course the most important people to me uh, which were uh, his daughter Claudia and uh, later on his mom uh, not his mom but her mom uh, Dino's uh, widow uh, Tian because I mean um, when I watched the uh, documentary, I just thought that Claudia was like the star of of of, uh, yes. of, of the show. You know, she was so good, so true, and uh, it was kind of uh, kind of funny because I was the one asking uh, the question because I, you know, my role was uh, doing some research but also uh, doing questions. Uh, off camera because uh, some of those people only spoke French uh, like one of the two uh, uh, crime journalists that were interviewed uh, in the documentary so so I was the one asking the questions to Claudia and I knew that one question would really get her because I remember having those discussions with her. I knew Claudia for a number of years she uh, she was one of uh, one of my friends. 
um, sister. She was her best friend, so I knew her for a long time. And uh, and the question was, you know, what what she would tell her dad if she could meet her uh, meet him uh, right now. And and I knew that she would get emotional on it. And and she did when I asked her that, um, you know, uh, for for the documentary. But when I watched it back, uh, maybe two well, it was what two years later, a year and a half later. Uh, I still got wet eyes just by, you know, uh, watching her uh, answer that question and then getting so emotional because, you know, she lost her dad at a very young age and, and he still he still means a lot to her. And uh, so I, I just thought, you know, the whole thing was was very well done. Uh, cannot say enough good things about about the crew and and and, uh, and, and everybody working on the documentary. Yes, I had mentioned this earlier in the program, um, how how well done that documentary series was done. The only unfortunate thing is that with the Dark Side of the Ring series, it seems that 80% of the stories are unfortunately Canadian content. You think? <laughs> it's, I don't know if that, uh, I don't know what that says about us up here in the, in the frozen north, but... Uh, in terms of, of wrestling lore and wrestling um, stories, certainly you can't find a bigger one than uh, the story with Dino Bravo. So uh, with your gentleman's per, uh, permission and persuasion, we'll get into kind of how his professional wrestling career kicked off. So as far as I can tell, uh, he started in the early 1970s, correct? He was part of the family, and he, as far as Gino has been always telling us, he, he always wanted to be a wrestler. So, and, and Gino, you know, knew him since he was in diaper. So, uh, that that's a natural progression for him. He was naturally strong, and, and he loved the business. Um, however, I mean, there was not a lot of room to, for a Quebec local to become a big star at that point in time. Uh, because of the Rougeau's family uh, and all-star wrestling. So that's why his career path was a little bit uh, different than, than most uh, local star, where he, he started to, to uh, run his career a little bit outside, and, and, and he was moved to Grand Prix wrestling right away, when, almost when the Grand Prix started to get out of the shadow of the Rougeau's. So I guess it's... Um... It's different, or it's far different in Montreal than it was in different parts of Canada or in in the states, for sure. In in one city, you had multiple promotions running, whereas you know in Winnipeg was primarily the AWA would run. Uh, sometimes you'd have NWA the odd time with maybe Stampede out west. Obviously, you had Stampede was the big one. Further out west, you had uh, All Star out in Vancouver, I believe. Um, Bertrand, uh, what what do you think was the biggest hurdle for Dino to overcome coming or stepping into the ring in Montreal and the wrestling scene at that time? I mean, it, it's like any other territory. I mean, but Montreal was very special. Is that you know it it, it was always independent from it, all the big promotion, so it was never part of the NWA per se. It was uh, it had good relation with everybody, 
And at different time, period in times, they would get talent either from New York or from Charlotte or from uh, Minnesota. Um, so Dino's uh, road was that, you know, right off the bat, Gino Brito saw something in, in Dino. And Dino, let's face it, had an ego. So he was not going to settle for being an undercard guy or to being just one of the middle-of-the-pack guy. He wanted to be the guy. Uh, that seems from our research and interviews with people who work with Dino at different point in time that Dino had an ego and he saw himself as the star. Uh, that even brought some heat between him and Andre the Giant uh, as they were partnering in Montreal. So that that from the start, that meant that he could not, you know, work under the Rougeaus where Raymond was already the chosen one to succeed to his uh, uncle and father. So he had to get out of that shadow. That's why Grand Prix was uh, such a perfect timing for him. Uh, and, and also, that that was pretty uh, unusual. And only, I think, Rick Martel really made it a big names outside uh, than Dino. Uh, because Dino worked the Carolinas. Uh, he worked Minnesota's. Uh, he, he did venture out to Winnipeg uh, through the AWA yes. and, and did things differently than most local star here, like, uh, like Johnny Rougeau, who mainly became a big star here and built his wrestling empire here. Um, so that was the difference. And that's why when the early 80s came and Gino had started the business and it was doing well with Henry and Frank Valois as partners, uh, I mean, Dino and Gino were family, so it just made sense uh, to make Dino the star, and he got over huge in Montreal in the early 80s. Uh, I mean, the Hulk Hogan of Quebec is not just a figure of speech. That's that's the kind of reaction he was getting. That's the kind of uh, aura he was projecting at the time. Did, did you just compare Roman Reigns to Dino Bravo by saying the guy? <laughs> um, I just want I just want to add something on what Bertrand said. Uh, it, it was always hard on local on young local talents to to make a name for themselves here in Montreal, and, and that was just not true during the seventies or the eighties. It, it was also true uh, back in the forties or the fifties. You know, ever since Eddie Quinn in nineteen thirty nine uh, came in to be the main promoter with its uh, with his main star Yvon Robert, it, it was always a very tough place. For local talent to actually um, be a, a, a real star, you know, it, it, it was it, you had to be the chosen one. You had to be uh, the one that even Robert would would pick. Uh, and so, so, so that's why you know, even in the in the early fifties, um, guys like Hen Schmidt and, and uh, uh, Sammy Berg and Mad Dog Vachon um, were not able to to. Uh, uh, to make a living out of, out of pro wrestling here in, in, in the province of Quebec. Uh, so they had to go abroad. They had to go uh, make uh, a, a name for themselves in the U.S., learn their craft, uh, only to come back one day as, as, a, as a big star. Uh, except for Johnny Rougeau, who was the chosen one who was the guy that, that Yvon Robert took under his wing. So so when Johnny Rougeau took over the territory after Eddie Quinn's passing and and uh, Yvon Robert's uh, retirement, uh, it, it, it pretty much 
uh, became a, a family thing in the sense that now the chosen, the, the young guy was Ray Rujo, his own nephew. So, so that's why guys like Martel and Bravo and, and other guys had trouble getting in. Uh, so, so, so Grand Prix uh, was really a place where Dino could uh, learn his craft just for the first time in, in, in uh, Montreal wrestling history. You had... Uh, you had uh, uh, a war. You have a, you had a turf war between Grand Prix and All Star Wrestling. So instead of uh, of leaving the territory like like the Vachon like Vachon did or the guys did, uh, and and going to the U.S., he was able to stay here in Montreal, but for um, a, a big competition, which was Grand Prix. And not only that, but he was able to work under the wing of Gino Brito, who was like an uncle to him. So, so, so he, he was very lucky in that sense. So, so when international wrestling started in 1980, he, the, the, the local crowd knew who he was, who he was already. But at the same time, Dino was a different wrestler because when the territory went went dark uh, between 76 and 80, when there was no TV, uh, you know, between the closing of All-Star Wrestling and the birth of international wrestling, uh, Bravo, that's when he went to the U.S. That's, you know, all the territories Bertrand spoke about. And um, uh, so when he came back in the early 80s, uh, he was he was more mature. He, he, he was more in control of what he, you know. He wasn't a rookie anymore, so so he became that huge star. And and I know that for a lot of uh, especially Americans who only saw him in the WWF uh, at the end, at, you know, mid mid to late eighties, uh, they cannot understand why guys like Bertrand and I are so in awe and you know in front of uh, of what Bravo was here in Montreal because they saw a version of Bravo that was so far away from what we uh, witnessed uh, from 1980 to 1985 here, so 1986. So so Bravo and, and you know, the, the old Golden of Quebec, that's something that me and Bertrand are saying for, for a long time, and uh, I really wanted to make sure that in the documentary people would actually know that because I knew it was, you know, it would be more of an American crowd, and I wanted people to really understand what Bravo represents for uh, for Montreal. So I'll I'll pose this question to both of you because I've I've found a couple of different takes on it. Um, I know that he spent quite a bit of time with Jim Pro- Jim Crockett. Sorry, listen to me talk. Um, in the Carolinas, so he won the uh, NWA World Tag Team Championships with Miss Wrestling Tim Woods, and then he also had a series of matches against Blackjack Mulligan. Now there's some people who say that it's the tag matches with Woods that really put him over the top, especially them winning the title from Gene and Ole Anderson. But then there's some people that say that, no, it's the, it's the series with Blackjack, uh, especially when he, when he pinned him twice on televised events, non-title, mind you. But people will say that those were the big uh, stepping stones for him. Um, just for each of you, whoever wants to go first, uh, what would you say would be the biggest moment for Dino Bravo uh, in the NWA that would have translated uh, more to Montreal? I'll let, go ahead, Bert. Well, I mean, he was he, he ended up uh, playing a part in the old NWA Canadian Championship at some point in time. 
uh, that I think led to uh, how, how he was presented always as that Canadian international champion. That championship was even mentioned on WWE at, at some point when Dino started with them. So, I mean, I think he was always meant as a big star. But what you need to remember is that Dino was very good against those big guys like Black Jack Mulligan. Uh, he, he loved to bring those to Montreal because... He was, uh, you know, the, the smaller guy, but the powerful guy that would take down those monsters. Uh, that That's very similar to, to, to old-time booking of uh, bringing in the monsters or bringing in the foreigners. That That's the thing about Montreal that is different from the rest of Canada, is that uh, any foreigner, even if it was a, a, an English-speaking Canadian, uh, was the invader. You know, it was Montreal has been very proud for a long, long time. So it's a little bit like in Japan when they used to bring the big guy Jin. Uh, it, it was an invasion each time. So you you always had going back to Yvon Robert, you always had that hero. And, and Dino fit the bill. He was Superman. I mean, he was strong. Uh, the one big thing that he did on television was do a bench press a little bit like he did at the Royal Rumble. Yes. Uh, uh, that That's one of the, the things. You know, years later on the French television, they kept on talking about the time he did the bench press on TV. And that was like early on in the, the television run. And they, they, they kept talking about it. And, and more than likely, when they read it at the Royal Rumble, it was to, to attempt to create or recapture that, that, that same magic of a very powerful man. But they, they kind of played it in a different way, you know, putting doubts into his strength, which Dino was actually very strong. Uh, so, I mean, and that's what make him so um, interesting in Montreal because, you know, we believe that he was that super strong guy that no matter what or how tall or how big the bad guys were, you know, Dino was stronger. <laughs> and, and it's very simple, uh, you would say, but we believe. And that that's the, the whole key. Uh, and, and he was very charismatic. He, he was such an incredible fire baby face when he made his comeback. It was unbelievable. He would sell, and when he would make that comeback, people would go completely banana. As a <laughs> so that 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 always to me, I mean, means a lot more now because I understand better when they were what they were doing, how they were hiding some of his weaknesses, and how they were putting everything on his on what he was really really good at. <clears throat> and, and you know, I don't know how good you know was that booking. Because, you know, in the, in the sense of times, things have been very muddy as far as who was making decisions. One thing is for sure on, on what match, but on it matches, Dino was a genius because he, he used himself and did things, very small things sometimes, that, that to this day I remember. So he was a good baby face. Uh, Bertrand talked about something that uh, I think just proves how uh, big of a deal Dino had become by the end of the 70s and early 80s when uh, when he talked about being the NWA Canadian champion he, he, he was actually and, and you know m most of those were not real bells or, I mean it wasn't like defended like 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 uh, uh, like like any other titles but 
Um, it, it was just a way to, to promote uh, Bravo in Canada, but he was the only guy who was NWA, AWA, and WWF Canadian champion. Uh, so, so, so he was really the guy that the promotion were relying on, uh, and and that's how big he had become by uh, by that point in time. Uh, the, the the other thing, and it, it's outside of Montreal, but it's also outside of the NWA, is his match with Abdullah the Butcher in Japan. I remember growing up that you know uh, I was reading about that match, uh, a bloody war between between Bravo and Abby in, in Japan that everyone wanted to see. You know, uh, I wasn't a tape trader. You know, I was never a tape trader actually, but I remember Bertrand. Um, among others, um, telling me that you know it was a match that every tape trader wanted to see because uh, uh, you know it, it really uh, it really went viral. If you, it wasn't an expression back then, but uh, if I can use a, a 2021 expression, you know it was really uh, viral. Everybody everybody had heard about that match and everybody wanted to see it. So 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 it was. Uh, uh, it, it, it was it, it was a big deal uh, in Montreal, but also uh, big promotions because you know since international wrestling, where uh, they were not outlaws, they were just an independent promotion using, like Bertrand said, you know, using talents from from all the other big offices. Um, well, well, Dino was the guy that everybody wanted to use and everybody wanted uh, wanted to have. So, so, so when we talk so highly of him. Here in Montreal, and and uh, I mean, we're not the only ones uh, that 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 saw those things in him. You know, he, he was my favorite wrestler growing up. He, it became Hulk Hogan later on. I mean, uh, I, I was a fan of Bravo before I became a fan of Hogan. So well, you were a fan of the Canadian sense. Hogan first. I was what? You were a fan of the Canadian Hulk Hogan first. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, so, so I mean. Uh, I mean, it was really, really special. And, and his interviews, uh, he, he, I mean, is is non-verbal. Uh, you know, he, he was Italian, right? So he had that that Italian blood in him, you know. And then uh, he was getting so when, when he was getting mad, he was getting so mad and so red. And you know, you could feel that you know he was ready to just smash the heads of of, of whoever was whoever heel was in front of him. And, 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 and it, it got to you, you know, you were sitting at home in front of your TV set and then you were just, oh yeah, get him, get him. You know, he had, he had that, that charisma that would, you know, go through, go through the TV, go through the arena and, and would make people just believe in him and say, you know, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm beyond Bravo. You know, we always, he always gets his man. And, and, and the funny thing is that Dino was pretty much the same kind of guy uh, outside of the ring, <laughs> that's not something that we knew when we were a kid. Uh, but uh, but but he, you know he, he was uh, he, he he had a short temper. Uh, so so in real life, so his, his his persona in the ring when he was you know Bertrand was talking about firing comeback. Well, he he got a few firing comeback in real life as well. <laughs> so there's two things that you each uh, brought up, and I just want to touch on them. Uh, first, Bertrand, you talked about how he was considered short, or I guess I guess for that territory, but I just want to... For, he, he would like to fight big guys. Yeah, so... Make, 
made, made him the shorter guy, but the most powerful guy. So when he was fighting Ken Patera, or he was fighting uh, with uh, Blackjack Mulligan, uh, or even Hulk Hogan, he, he was smaller man. So he, he was the smaller man in the fight, but he was the most powerful man. In Montreal, that's what he projected. Uh, and, and he would, you know, uh, I remember when the masked superstar laid him out. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, he didn't did, did not let Dino uh, take his robe off, beat the crap out of him. You know, Dino was bleeding all over. He, they put a cigar in Dino's eye. You know, the eat. I mean, Gino Brito told us that the, the the most successful program outside of the Rougeau and the Garvin, as far as drawing money, was Superstar and Dino Bravo. Out of that one angle, wow. when Superstar came in and, and beat the crap out of him and forced Dino to 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 make a comeback because nobody had had treated Dino Bravo that way. So it, it's. You know, small things like that. So he, he always was very good as being slightly the smaller man of the fight. So that's why they brought all those big guys for him. And probably why he didn't like to have Andre come around and beat those big guys. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but it, it, it is what it is. Dino had, had that very rare charisma. And his fire was unbelievable in the ring when he was making that comeback. And... and Pat glanced over his interviews. I mean, the English interviews, they ended up putting a manager with him and uh, his English at, at a strong accent. Uh, but he was very good. You know, he, he, he rarely yelled in French and, and he was making his points and, and he came out, came come off so seriously. You know, it's always about making you believe. And when Dino said, well, not going to go this way and I'm going to beat this guy and if I don't beat this guy I'm going to retire or if I don't do this and uh, you believe the guy you know he, 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 you know, if Dino said something it, it's going to happen and, and, and that has value to a promotion especially locally with the television that, that International Wrestling had put together it, it created the last big local wrestler you know in, in the vein of the Johnny Rougeau and the Yvonne Robert he, he was that guy. He was the god of Montreal wrestling. So, uh, and, and that's exactly the spot that he wanted, I think, from day one. Um, Pat, just to follow up on something that you had brought up, you were talking about his time in Japan. Uh, there's one match in particular that he had in Japan that I've watched it, and, and I think it's incredible. And that is uh, Dino Bravo and Ricky Chosu versus Hulk Hogan and Stan Hansen. Now, if I, I we normally we don't talk about matches per se on this program, but good lord, if you want to see four guys beat the holy hell out of each other to uh, to a double countout, I believe is or no, it was a draw, I believe actually, time of a draw. But my god, you're talking about a guy who who is so well respected and well revered in in different countries and territories not necessarily yes we're going to get into the wwf e whatever you want to call it portion of his career soon but just you know you go see nwa he has a great run he, he does these great things in japan he obviously is a superstar in canada it's just it's incredible the impact that he has just you know a guy who's essentially imported from from italy grows up in in montreal and makes a name for himself 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dino, Dino. I mean, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the best worker in the ring, uh, but he looked, he looked the part. And uh, and and you know, he was so muscular, and and even if he wasn't like a tall guy, he was, he was still, you know, a strong, uh, bulk kind of guy. Where you know everything he did was credible. You know, even to this day, uh, people still believe that he, he really uh, did bench press seven uh, hundred and uh, I don't remember seven hundred thirty-five pounds, seven hundred fifty pounds, whatever the number was, uh, with, with Jesse Ventura and everything. I mean, uh, it, it was it was still something almost credible because he, he was so strong and and so 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 big, uh, so so. Uh, uh, in Japan, uh, I mean, he, he could use he could use his, his physique, uh, even if he wasn't if even if he wasn't like the best uh, worker in the ring, he, he could use his his his, his upsides and uh, and and make sure that you know everyone would would believe everything he did was believable, and and that was one of his strongest suit. Uh, so so whether it was in the NWA or in Japan or uh, here in Montreal. Uh, or you know, elsewhere in Canada, he, he, he was uh, he, he would always get that done, and and uh, that's just you know one of the reasons why he was so uh, so successful. Uh, Seven hundred fifteen pounds, which would have been the oh, world see, record. Was, yes, you were you're I the was, ballpark. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, knew, I, I knew it was a five somewhere. So <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, that would have been a world record at the time for sure. Um, I want to get into his second stint or the most memorable one either way this coin you want to look at it uh with his run with the wwf uh when he returns in late 86 i believe um either one of you who wants to jump on this one i'm not sure who to ask but who made the decision to change his look and if it was not his decision uh what did he think of of the change in his look and presentation I think Bertrand can go in more details than me. I just want to say something is that most Quebecers turn out to turn heel in WWF. So, so there was there was something of a pattern here. Oh, it's uh, more than most. I don't mean to cut you off. It's more than most. I think just about every Quebecer is a heel, except for I uh, maybe uh, maybe the current uh, Mister Owens is about the only one who's not. Yeah, and he's fighting a lot to stay babyface like, yes. like this. So, 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 whether it was the Rougeau brothers, whether it was uh, Dino, uh, I mean, Rick, Rick was maybe the guy that they, that Vince kept babyface the longest out of out of the uh, the, the Quebecers. But but there's always been a pattern, you know. And and uh, after that, the Monty and even the Quebecers uh, with PCO and and even Sylvain Grenier, you know. So. So there's always been that that pattern of turning heel, uh, turning Quebec wrestlers heel. So 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 it was not that surprising when you look at it uh, from from a, a today's perspective. Um, but I'll let Bertrand go into more detail about uh, about about that. I mean, obviously, getting the Quebec wrestler, whether the, whether it was the Rougeau, Martel, Bravo, was part of the WWE business at that time. Is that they were running so many house shows. 
and, and Montreal was to become part of the the circuit and, and the rest of Canada. So they needed those those local talent. And, and in Montreal, that implied they were going to be drawing big houses at the Montreal Forum. And that implied Dino Bravo. But if you keep Dino Bravo as a baby face, then you're going to have a serious issue when both Ogan and Dino Bravo are on the same card. Because people are going to have to choose. And, and you know, from the, the, the mouth of the Jerry Briscoe, they were far from certain that Ogan would not have been booed and they would not risk that and they went right away, right off the bat to, to have Dino turn heel because they saw him as a potential opponent for, for Ogan and for sure Dino saw also that there was a lot more money if he was going to be on top with Hulk Ogan uh, than you know, being just one of, uh, of another baby face uh, behind Ogan uh, so obviously, I mean, I think he saw big money. I, I think he was probably a little bit let down because except for uh, a few matches in Montreal where he wrestled for the title with Macho Man and he had a big uh, match with Hulk Hogan at the forum after uh, getting him out on a stretcher on the show before with a bear hug. Uh, he, he didn't get a lot of a big main event house show. Uh, with Hulk Hogan, except much later on when he was teaming with Earthquake and things of that nature. Uh, so I think he, he probably was a little bit, uh, it was probably a little bit of a letdown that he was never like one of the main Hogan opponents for a big program. Um, but obviously, I mean, that was the role for him. I mean, there was no room for a second fiddle baby face, Dino Bravo. But as a top guy heel, he, he, there was potential. Uh, with him getting more muscular, he got less agile. Uh, as a heel, he was not doing, was less spectacular, and clearly and fast, he, he, he was not the same wrestler as he used to be in Montreal. But, uh, you know, when I remember those matches that he did in Montreal, and, you know, they were just like the old days. However, you know, I saw the difference in between the first match with Macho Man when the, the heel turn of Dino was pretty fresh to when he finally wrestled Hogan, uh, you know, there was no doubt when he wrestled Hogan at the forum that, you know, Hogan was the baby face and Dino was the heel. So they, they, they made it work for them. And what they were afraid of by the time they put them together in the ring was long gone. And to get there, you needed to get Dino as a heel. Uh, that That's just the nature of the business. And even if he was let down, I'm sure that he made more money as a heel and with those big runs with Macho Man and with uh, Hogan in, <coughs> in Montreal and Toronto, uh, among other cities, uh, than he would have had as, uh, I don't know, being a babyface middle-of-the-pack uh, wrestling young stock man for the IC Championship. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Bravo and Hogan... If in 1986, if they would have been able to book that, uh, they could have, you know, Montreal never used the Olympic Stadium as a, as a wrestling venue. Uh, but if there is one match that could have, I don't want to say failed the Olympic Stadium, but it's a very large stadium. Uh, but, but you know, uh, they could have done a very, uh, it, it could have been the biggest wrestling show ever in Montreal. So I'm talking about North north of 30,000 people. A match worthy of the stadium. I'm sorry? Worthy of the stadium. 
Oh yeah, 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 exactly. You know, before before they turned Bravo heel, you know, yeah. when Bravo in '86, Bravo still had that that aura of of a big baby face. Uh, and and uh, I mean, he was still a big baby face in '86 before he, he joined WWF. So so if they would have done that match uh, that year, um, I mean, they 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 would have done big numbers. But Vince didn't want to go there because uh, obviously he wanted Hogan to be to be his, his top baby face everywhere. You know, not only in the U.S. or not only. Uh, on his TV, but really everywhere he was going. So, so it, it's really something that that could have, you know, it, it's one of the major what ifs in the history of Quebec wrestling. There's another little wrinkle to all this, but I'm not sure how much he plays a part of it. In is that in Canada, if you're producing Canadian content for television, you need to have a certain amount of Canadian uh, talent, whether it's on screen, behind the screen, in the credits, whatever. Do you think that that played a, a, a little or a large part to the WWF bringing Dino Bravo back into the company? The fact that they're now they're expanding more into Canada, they need to be able to feature Canadian talent to get the the go ahead, uh, quote unquote, to be able to air their programs in Canada. I have never heard that being a reason I, before. I think that the the reason. They, just by producing so much television in Ontario, that that took care of that. The talent itself was irrelevant to to that situation. Okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It, it's such a tricky thing. It's it's the amount of Canadian content in your programming. Okay, well, so what does that really boil down to? Does that mean you know the people producing? Does it yeah. mean where it's produced, etc.? But yeah, to your point, yeah, if they're producing tons of. In Ontario, as they were at the time, that that totally makes perfect sense to me. Um, so I just want to go back to the 1988 Royal Rumble. We briefly touched on it, but that's the one where uh, he had bench pressed the 715 pounds that we previously spoke about uh, with Jesse the Body Ventura just using his his little pinkies, as he said, uh, to help Dino. Uh, pick up the bar, but that was all to put over this really the strong style, quote unquote, that he was going to be wrestling. Because, like you guys said, he he kind of shied away from, you know, a lot of the high flying, a lot of the drop kick spots and whatever. As he as he bulked up, he really did turn himself into that really brawler, really rough and tumble kind of wrestler. I mean, yes. I mean, that was a, a, a big, one of the biggest features that Dino ever had on, on a WWF show uh, because he was usually part of an ensemble at Survivor Series or he was part of a tag team match on, like, Saturday Night Main Event or things like that. But that was his own feature on the Royal Rumble. Uh, and, and, you know, I loved it as a kid because uh, as a kid, I mean, I was just on, pushing on 18. but Still uh, a kid. I, I, I loved it because, you know, that was my Dino Bravo. That was Superman, you know. And it was like, oh, my God, you know. And you kind of, you, you know, you oh yeah, Jesse. Why he was spotting him, you know. You, you would yeah, he, he, he never touched the bar. Come on. So, but that, I, I think they, they, they never truly exploited that after that. And, and I don't think, you know, Vince or Pat or any of the, the power decision maker in WWF saw Dino at a higher level 
uh, than the level he was when he was there, basically. I don't think they ever saw him as a main event player on a regular basis. Um, so, and, and he was getting older. I mean, Rick Martel tells us, you know, uh, towards the end, you know, he even offered to, to put them together because when Rick Martel and Dino Bravo would team together in Montreal, uh international champion awe world champion teaming together to face the road warriors i mean that was the mega power before there was the mega power uh so for 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 quebec wrestling that was the team and, and they were a very good tag team and and rick pitched the idea of them together as a team with him taking all the bumps and dino being the strong guy and and I think they could have had a really, really good run that would have stretched uh, Dino's career. Uh, but they, they never saw that. Dino was getting older. Uh, and, and, you know, Dino, from all perspective, Dino was the kind of guy who would, you know, say F you if things didn't go his way or if he was unhappy <laughs> about that. So obviously, you know, politically, I'm pretty sure Dino was not the kind of guy who made a lot of friends backstage or played the political game or you know, kissed a lot of ass. So, obviously, you know, he was probably not the most popular uh, guy of the of the bunch. And, and not only that, but, I mean, Dino had a, a, a very high opinion of, of, of himself, uh, of, of, his, uh, of his work in the ring, of his talent. So, so and he was always, uh, you know, he had been the top guy in Montreal for so many years. So, so to be used... In, in, in a mid-card position with WWF, um, you know, without getting any real program to uh, uh, the big title and stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, uh, even more at the end when, when Vince didn't even see, you know, how he could use him anymore. Um, I, I think that Dino really, um, he, he thought he, 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 he could still go and he, he didn't really take that well. And, and, and when, when Rick offered him, uh, offered Vince or, or, or suggested to Vince that, you know, he, he, he could team up with Dino, it was, it was um, mostly to, um, to avoid Dino of, you know, working in, in, in the, uh, in, in, in the mob, you know, with the mob and doing what, what, what he was doing. It was, you know, in a way he was trying to save him from, from, uh, from, from what, what ended up happening, right? So, so from his fate, you know. So, uh, so that's why you know Rick, as as a good friend as as he was to to Dino, uh, he, you know, he wanted at least to try something with Vince, and and you know Rick knew how to be a tacky. You know, he proved it with Tom Sang, he proved it with Tito Santana. So he knew what to do to make a good tag team work, and and I would have I, I would absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still wondering today if, if, if that team, even in the early 90s, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, that something could have been done with the two of them, you know. Uh, and, and, you know, who knows what would happen, what would have happened to Dino if, if that would have happened, you know, if Vince would have agreed. Uh, not, I'm, you know, I'm not putting anything on Vince, you know, that's, that was uh, always Dino's choices. Uh, but you know, he chose a life. He, he he decided to. But that's why it was such a big letdown for him, because it, it was you know it was a, a million dollar job literally. So 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 there's not a lot of jobs that get give you 
that much money, that fame uh, for, you know, without working like uh, 90 hours a week, you know, yes. it was on, on the road all the time, but it was a different kind of work, you know, it was, it was a star, it was, uh, he, he was like, uh, uh, like a uh, uh, rock star, you know, so, uh, so, so, so the, the life he, he chose by the end of it. Um, was the only way he knew of making close to the money that he, he, he was making with uh, with Vince. I guess it's di- it's disappointing on all sides of it, right? Because you have the fans like yourselves and uh, people who have seen him in Japan, people who have seen him in the States outside of the WWF, who would look at his WWF run as kind of like untapped potential, right? He... He could have been this. He should have done this. He could have had a run with this, right? And then you look at it from Bravo's point of view. You know, he comes in there. He changes his look, changes his style. Then he's got a manager. Then he's in a he's in a stable with uh, Valentine and Beefcake. Then he's in another stable. And then he's always just kind of bouncing around from from mid card position to mid card position, never really getting his his footing never really establishing who Dino Bravo is in the WWF, and I'm sure that that had to weigh heavily on him. You don't go from being a superstar in places in in a city or like Montreal or, or a territory like that, or, or you know being a star in Japan or whatever. To now you're just kind of you're you're just in the shuffle. You're just one of the talents. Yeah, exactly. You know that's that's what. You know, it wasn't news of, of, of being news that way. It wasn't news of not being news at all, you know. And he still thought that even though he was uh, he was closing up on his, uh, he was what, in, the, in his mid-40s or close to, uh, he, he, he was still in, in, in you know, he, was, he had still a, a good shape, you know, maybe not the best shape of his life, but he was still... Uh, you know, very muscular and everything. So he really thought that he, he had he had some some more years uh, to to give the company. And and you know you know when Vince decides that you're too old, you're too old. Uh, you know he did the same thing with Randy Savage. Uh, did the same thing with, uh, with 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 other people as well. You know so so that's what uh, that, that 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 that's when you know Dino didn't have a lot of uh, a lot of of options because. Uh, you got to remember that back in 1992, WCW wasn't what it, it would become a few years later. So WCW wasn't really an option for him uh, at, at the time, you know. So there were there was not like a lot of promotion that Dino could actually turn to and and kept working. You know, he would have had to gone probably to Japan. And even then, you know, I'm not sure that it was still Japan material, but you know, by then, so, so, so it was a, it was really a rough time on him, a really, really a rough time on him, and um, well, you know, that's that's you know about the, the 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 same time that he started making bad bad decisions, you know, in 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 his real life. Just before we get any further, yeah, you you brought up you know not many places to go, and one place maybe would have been Japan. I don't know how he fits there because. In Japan at that time, in in terms of international talent, you had Vader running wild there. You had well, Stan Hansen was still there, I believe, and then you had the Steiners in there as well. So I, it would have been a tough road for him, like to to do that type of of uh, those types of matches and that type of schedule would have been would have been very hard for him to keep up with. 
I mean, obviously, Japan might probably was not going to be because the, the style was just going to go a, a, even more fast and even more hard than uh, when Dino was still in his prime and a young man. Yes. Uh, obviously, Dino, I mean, he did a few shots in Puerto Rico. Uh, the office had strong ties. The Montreal office had strong ties over there. Uh, but th there was basically no place really to make money. I mean, WCWE, WCW in those days, I mean, was losing, bleeding money. Oh, 92 uh, was a mess for them. Yeah, and Dino would have had to move to Atlanta to, 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 to work there, uh, which is all stuff that he was not ready to to do. He had that huge house in Montreal. He was a very proud Quebecer, very proud of his Montreal Canadiens. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there's a lot to think that he was attempting to, to raise enough money and there, there's enough talks with Gino Brito and Jean Brujo to think that Dino was still hoping to end his career in Montreal as a big star and he was hoping to start wrestling again at some point locally and try to start something uh, that would have given him uh, that, that, that uh, platform, that stage to end his career on his turn. Uh, but obviously when that, that was not meant to be. But it's hard. You know, the WWF of the 1980s, that was really like the all-star team of all-star team because everybody they brought in was a star somewhere. But obviously when you bring everybody in the same territory, not everybody can be stars at the same level. Uh, that just positioning, timing, uh, you never know how things are going to turn out. And, and like uh, a movie casting, I mean, if the casting director of a wrestling show see you in a certain role, that's the role you're going to get. Yeah, he's not going to start, you know, seeing you in, in a different light just like that. Uh, and, and we see today that, you know, it's not like Vince changes his mind about something when he decides that something is not good or something is at a certain level. It's very, very rare that this is going to change. Um, so, I mean, it, it was what it was. It was also the only place to go in, in that time period to make the money that Dino made at the end. So what would he say today? That That's very hard, uh, as Dino was very at an ego, but he also, I think, recognized that business was business, and that's, you know, he would probably recognize that this uh, the WWE run was the run where he probably made the most money of, it, of all of his career. So, um, things didn't turn out the way he, he wanted it, but, you know, sometimes you have to accept that, and I think if Dino had been a little bit more... Uh, uh, you know, negotiate a little bit better and, and play his card a little bit better, things could have been different. But Dino was always my way or the highway. So that's, I think that that's the story of Dino Bravo. Unfortunately, you know, Dino being the my way or the highway, well, he's up against Vince, who is, as we all know, is very much my way or the highway. So he's not, he's not winning that one, I don't think, you know, 10 times out of yeah. 10. So I guess Vince owns, Sir go ahead. Vince Vince owns the highway. Yeah, so <laughs> yes he does. I I guess there's a little bit of confusion it and this again goes to you know depend on who you talk to. Now did was he released from his contract at the end of it or did he retire because there's 
some some people say that he retired and and that wrapped it up on his own terms. Some of it said that Vince told him he wasn't going to renew it. Some say that Vince bought him out at the end. Um, Pat, I don't know if if you would be able to speak on that. Just what what was the actual end of his run in WWF? What what, what was the end of it that like? It, it, it was really a bit, it was really a bit of both. He, he he wasn't he wasn't happy of the way he was he was being used, and Vince didn't want to renew his contract. So. So, so when his contract came up, uh, well, you know, he, he didn't want to stay and Vince didn't want to keep him. So he was never really, like, just fired uh, and he didn't really quit. It was just a mutual agreeing that, uh, you know, he, he, I'm not happy. Okay, well, you know, that's good because we don't want to use you anymore. Oh, okay. That, and, and, and so, so, so. So, so, so that's pretty much what happened. You know, he wasn't, he, 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 like I said, you know, he still, he, he thought that he could still uh, being helpful to, to, a, to a promotion and he, he didn't want to, to, to do what, what, uh, uh, what Vince wanted him to do uh, by the end of it. And, and the, the, uh, the tragedy about this is that they were supposed to do a big, uh, a big farewell show for him. Uh, in 1992, and then that never happened, and and, and we n- nobody knows why, uh, or nobody remembers why, or maybe just Dino knows why, and, and he, he brought that uh, in the grave with him. But um, but but so so Dino never really had this big retirement farewell because it it, it, it would have not come from his part because he wasn't ready to retire. He, he still wanted to contribute to to a promotion like Bertrand said. Um, everything leads to to believe that he, he wanted to um, to to start something locally, uh, and uh, and uh, and at the end of it, that didn't happen either. But um, but that you know that's that's how that's how he left WWF. You know, it, it was just a mutual agreeing of we don't want to use you anymore. Well, that's good because you know I don't like the one being used, so I'm, I'm you know better going away. Because in Montreal, they actually started uh, uh, a baby fraternity for him at the Ocean. He was back with Black. He beat Jacques Rougeau on Barbarian on, on another show. Yeah. And was never brought back for what would be led to some sort of a farewell or last show uh, or retirement show at the forum. That never came to be. I think it was used also one, uh, one last time on a European tour. And where he also has the black hair, and that's about it. Um, so it's never like it was like, uh, oh, I'm never gonna work for you anymore, or I'm mad, or we're never gonna use you. It's like it was like we're not gonna use you full time. We're gonna try a few things. We're gonna use you in Montreal, and you know that that didn't pan out really good, and nobody was happy apparently. Uh, or, or Dino expected it maybe to turn into a, that tag team with Rick Martel, maybe, or, or maybe as a way to get his, his way back as a babyface, maybe in, in the big league. Uh, but that's not what they were seeing. You know, they were giving him a far, a far, far well, but not, not a welcome back. So uh, clearly, you know, it was just not meant to be. Um, and it's part of the, the, the question marks or the. What if, or you know, what was going on? What would have happened? You know that that comes with uh, Dino leaving us so soon afterwards. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, Dino Bravo and John Rizzo Jr. teaming up together to bring back 
uh, a, a big time local promotion here in Montreal in, in 1992, 1993. I mean, it's, it's a huge what if because it actually could have worked. You, you had, you had Bravo was like the big, uh, the, the last big local star and you had Jacques Rougeau who had who had the name you know he had the Rougeau name and you know Jacques ended up being one of the most popular wrestlers in the history of Quebec wrestling uh, he, he, perhaps he wasn't to that level in 1992 1993 but but he wanted I mean and he started the pro, a local promotion in 94 uh, but but you know uh, Jacques on his own and Dino on his own could have not I mean, Jacques, it didn't, it didn't really. I mean, it worked to a degree, but not, not, not to the degree of bringing back a big time local promotion on TV. But with with Bravo, and and, and with Bravo, probably comes Gino Brito, and then probably a Rick Martel, who who who, who uh, a few years later would would find himself uh, out of WWF as well. Um, you, you never know what could have happened, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe a Ray Rougeau comes back. Uh, I mean, no, no, Ray would have would have stayed with Vince. But, but, but either way, you know, there was there was. I think that the, that as odd as it seems, I truly believe that Bravo and Jacques teaming together with with you know two big mouths like 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 them trying to just run everybody over here to to make that happen. Uh, the contacts they had, the names they had. Uh, I mean, um, you know, you, we'll, we'll never know, but uh, I, I truly believe it, it, it could have become something. But it, it's it's also interesting to think, with 92, and we, had, we were talking about earlier, you know, WCW is on their ass at that point. All their connections that they had from their time with uh, Jim, Jim Crockett, well, most of them were still there at that point. So it's it's neat to think, like, okay, what if... What if they start this up in Montreal now? What if they're cross promoting with now WCW on Turner Turner Television? Just, it's it's neat to think what could have been if obviously cards had uh, had played out differently. Yeah, but at the same time, WCW was never big on Canada. I mean, they stole bread from WWF and never did anything. Whatever. <laughs> no, Canada. that was one of the worst fucking <laughs> worst I mean, things that's, ever. I mean, how can you not? Have Bret Hart in your roster and not do a show in Montreal after what happened in 1997. You, you know, it's 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 it, 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 it you know it blows my mind for years. You know, I just don't. And and we, we and and we're getting out of, out of the Bravo thing for for a second. But we we did ask that question to Eric Bischoff, and and he was like, well, you know, Canada wasn't wasn't really in 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 our plans. You know, they were. Uh, they were in in the and, and that's not him talking. That's me. But they, they were in the middle of of a war with WWF, and the war was in the states. The ratings war was in the states. Everything was in the states. So Canada wasn't really a market that they thought they would you know that would help them win that war. And 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 but at the same time, I, I just think that you know it, it was something that they could have really used with, with bread. Can you imagine bread in Toronto, bread in Calgary, bread in Montreal? I mean, it would have been big, you know, in every big cities throughout, you know, coast to coast, you know, Vancouver, even Winnipeg, you know, because it was Bret Hart. And, and even though he wasn't a guy from Montreal, he wasn't a, a French-Canadian, after what happened in, at the Survivor Series, I mean, he, I mean, it would have been. It was big when he came back. Oh uh, my God! They could have printed when he, money when he came back fifteen years later. So can you imagine in '98? 
you know what it would what it would have been. So 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 I'm really not sure if I mean Jacques did something on his own with Ogan when he was you know the leader of the NWO that drew close to fifteen thousand people at at the uh, Molson Center in '97 without. WCW running it, they, they, he, you know, it was his own promotion, renting talents from WCW. So even then, they didn't see fit to. I mean, if I'm if I'm WCW, I'm like, oh, what? You want to wrestle Hogan in Montreal? No, no, hold on a second. We, we, we want to chip in. You know, we want to be part of this. Yes, it's going to be big. But there's a big misunderstanding of the Montreal market for years from both WCW and WWF and still to this day. So so I'm really not sure that even though Bravo and Rujo would have teamed to bring back a local promotion here in Montreal, that WCW would have would have picked on that and would have say, you know, something like, hey, let's 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 team up with you guys. You know, you have something going on here. It, 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 I mean, I, I just don't see it happening. I guess I give them too much credit because after all, they did get Bret Hart and made him a referee for their first match. So there's that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it was better, and, and it was the first thing in Hogan match. So it was, you know, you, you wanted to do that screw job finish again. That's what that that's what more. It was more important than anything else. So. <laughs> so after uh, when Bravo leaves the WWF, he left in I, I believe it was April of '92. Uh, did he go back to Montreal and start training wrestlers, or or what was his kind of, we'll loosely say, career transition after his time with the WWF? Well, I think we, we glanced over it. I think he did a few shots in uh, Puerto Rico, uh, was called back to do a, a European tour, and that's about it. I mean, I don't have any record of Dino even wrestling one uh, indie match in Montreal. I don't think his ego would have let him wrestle in front of 200 people in uh, in a small building. Uh, if he was going to make a comeback here after WWE, he was going to make it, you know, as the big star on the biggest stage he could create on the local scene. Uh, so I think we were at least a year away from something like that maybe happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, he got caught in all of that. Uh, trying to raise money and, and, and keep the lifestyle that he had uh, getting getting uh, accustomed to uh, being a WWF uh, wrestler. Um, and, and then everything that we knew happened. And more than likely, Dino's uh, my way or the highway attitude uh, at, at a, could, could not go well in the world he ended up being caught in. His transition into the uh, quote-unquote mob life, um, part of that was him being an enforcer of sorts, if I'm understanding things correctly. Uh, if you are going to uh, to get somebody who uh, looks like an enforcer, you probably want somebody who looks like Dino Bravo at the very least. Do you think that was was it his look or was it just his ties to the family that really got him kind of sucked into that lifestyle both both he, he, had, the, he, he had he had the ties and he had he had the look you know he had the look to 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 to, to be someone uh, who could scare anyone 
that that uh, needed to uh, pay up uh, pay up to uh, to the mob so 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 but he had the ties to to he had the connections to uh, uh, to 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 get in uh, but he was he, he had a hot temper he had a short temper and like Bertrand said you know it, it doesn't really fit well in, in that in that world you know so he was still you know bravo you know he was he was I don't think that at any point after leaving WWF and 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 you know to to the day he passed he, he was he was he was murdered that at any point he was Adolfo Bresciano he was always Dino Bravo and Dino Bravo was a proud uh, superstar for years in Montreal and he still had that mentality So and, and and he was that big tough wrestler at a time where the kayfabe was still uh, was still something and and he still needed to protect his uh, his identity and 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 um, he, I mean he, he would have not let anyone uh, bully him because nobody bullies Dino Bravo and and uh, and whether it was a biker whether it was Um, a guy from uh, uh, from the mob or someone from the reserve, the Indian reserve. I mean, he he, he was he was tougher than anyone in his mind, uh, and and he was he, he was he was a name. He was someone. So so, I think that's that's you know part of the reasons why you know he ended up the way he, he, he ended. And, um, and he was always like this, you know. Even even back in the '80s, when he was going to a hockey game, he, he, he was he, he had such a short temper that, you know, he he, he once started a fight with uh, with the Quebec Nordiques uh, coaches. Yes, I heard about that. So so I mean, it, it, it was uh, I mean he was who he was, and um, and unfortunately, no one could actually reason him to not be in this kind of, of, of uh, you know, this kind of line of work. Uh, it, it was not a good fit for him, uh, but it was the only thing, the only thing he knew was wrestling. And, and um, I can't even, even imagine when that is being taken away from you, what, what kind of, uh, of feelings you're, you're going through and, and, um, And especially when you have the lifestyle he had, there, there's not a lot of options. And maybe he thought that he was better than everyone and that, you know, uh, it wouldn't happen to him. Uh, he, he was scared a few times. You know, his wife told me that, you know, one time, you know, especially uh, if she remembered that, you know, he, he seemed scared. And, and, and he didn't know what would happen to him. But but he wouldn't let that show to anyone else. Uh, so so that was, yeah. I mean, it's it's such a sad ending when you when when you think about it because he, he had everything for him, you know. He, he, he and 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 his wife wanted wanted them to move. Uh, she didn't need the big million dollar house in in, in uh, suburban of you know Laval, you know, just north of Montreal. She didn't need that. She, they could have lived, you know, happily in, in a smaller house. But 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 that's where you know uh, that's where Dino Bravo came in. 
you know, and, and Dino Bravo was a big star to the eyes of, of, of fans, to the eyes of the population. And Dino Bravo had to live in a, in a big house. He had to have a few cars, a Mercedes and all that. So, so he didn't see himself going backward. He, 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 he just thought of ways of, of, of uh, keeping himself afloat. And, and, you know, that's that's when, you know, you start making bad decisions. So, um, Bertrand, I just, I, I'm not sure if you would know the answer to this or not, but so he starts, he's doing the, infer, infer, I, I know I'm phrasing this terribly, but he's doing the enforcer role. Like, I'm talking like we're doing wrestling gimmicks, but he's he's being the enforcer for, for the mob, essentially. Then he starts moving into contraband, and that's when he was, moving into the cigarette smuggling, I believe, correct? Correct. So for our international listeners, because it's quite different here in Canada, a lot of people will think like, oh, well, cigarettes, why are you smuggling them? Well, in Canada, cigarettes are heavily, heavily taxed. Um, goes A large portion of that tax goes towards paying for our national health care system. So when you can get non-taxable cigarettes from the reserves, which they are, uh, from the, from the indigenous reserves here in Canada. Um, that's a, that's a big money market and that's something that he had got himself mixed up involved in, correct? Yes. I mean, there was money back then in that, in that traffic. Uh, they, they were bringing in, uh, cigarettes from the U S and there was a lot of reselling, and, and they, it, it, you know, people, you know, you don't have to imagine it as being like a pack of cigarettes. We're talking uh, truckloads of cigarettes. Uh, so, I mean, at that point in time, that was huge, and, and uh, everybody had their hands in it. And Dino thought probably that this was a quick and easy way to make money. Yeah, we're we're not talking like a pack of cigarettes. We're talking like semi trailers full of of cigarettes. Like this was no yeah. this was no Mickey Mouse operation. This is a large scale. It, it was a big deal. Yeah, and and the other thing too is that, and and you know, uh, just to make sure that people who are listening know about this, but uh, when we say that Dino had ties to to the mob, I mean, by the time that. Uh, Dino was involved in it. The Rizzutos were the big, you know, uh, the, the big family here in Montreal, and and you know it was it was a big family throughout Canada as well, uh, uh, mob family, uh, I should say. And and uh, but, but but Dino's Dino's ties to to the mob was through the Cotronis. Vic Cotroni was the uh, the godfather in Montreal, or should I say, presume godfather in Montreal, uh, before uh, before uh, uh, Vic Rizzuto, uh, Vito Rizzuto. Um, it, it was Vic Cotroni, and Vic was was uh, Dino's uncle. So 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 that's that's the link with with the mob. But by the time that Dino was involved in this. The Cotronis weren't the big, the big, uh, the big players anymore. It was the Rizzuto, uh, but still, the Cotronis' uh, name uh, carried weight in Montreal. So, 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 I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you know part of, of Dino's uh, um, reasoning about about you know being a tough guy in the mob was that hey, you know, I'm part of the Cotronis. You know, they can't touch me. 
you know, but 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 that that wasn't the case anymore because the Cotronis weren't what they used to be, and uh, he he, uh, uh, he he did stuff that uh, that wasn't going to be backed up by uh, uh, by 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 some of those guys, you know. Uh, so so at the end of it, uh, but uh, yeah, so, so at the end of it, it you know, uh, Dino wasn't uh, I don't know he he, he wasn't. Uh, Someone should have taken Dino's, you know, aside and just tried to to talk to him and say, "Hey, listen, you know, that's not that's not going to work, you know." You, but but at the same time, very few people could have that talk with Dino. A guy like Gino Brito could have have that talk with Gino, but Dino didn't want to involve Gino at all because he knew what could have happened, and and um, and the less Gino would have known the less he would have been in trouble, uh, you know, if something happened. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Gino didn't know much about what, what Dino was doing. Or at least he didn't know much uh, from Dino. And that was the important thing for Dino to kind of protect uh, Gino to, 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 all that, uh, to all that stuff. So, so, uh, so yeah, so, so he was linked to the Cotronis. The Cotronis were actually... Uh, as a as a as a trivia note, uh, Vic Cotroni uh, used to wrestle uh, really? back in the back in the 1930s here in Montreal. So so it's kind of uh, kind of funny to uh, uh, well not funny but it's just you know a trivia note that that you know the big godfather that he became you know he actually started as a as a as a pro wrestler in Montreal. I'm just reading a little bit. So the Cotroni family was they were a part of the B- Bonanno crime family, I believe, right? Like they were, they were, they were kind of like, um, like the big five. They're called families in in New York City. So they at one time had a ton of influence, but like you said, maybe at this point in 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 the early nineties, not as much as they used to. No, exactly. Their influence wasn't wasn't what it used to. They they they, they weren't in charge of of, of Montreal anymore. Uh, so so the, the landscape has changed. You know, it was a big name throughout the end of the 70s, early 90s, uh, early 80s. But but 10 years later, uh, there were, I mean, like I said, you know, even to this day, you know, uh, if you if you if you talk about the Cotronis, it, it's still it's still something. But it's not it's nowhere close to to, to what it was. Uh, if if Dino would have joined uh, the mob, um I mean, uh, ten years earlier or fifteen years earlier. I guess so. And obviously, we're speaking. All of this is allegedly, if you will. But uh, so he he starts as the enforcer. He moves on to um, cigarette smuggling. Was he? Did he have a role to play in cocaine smuggling as well, or is that just conjecture from what you guys can tell? We don't know for sure. It's more conductor than anything else, as there was some sort of cocaine bust that was kind of linked to him when he he passed away as one of the many possibilities. Because what happened at the end is that Dino did something that was probably purely Dino, got a lot of attention on a bunch of people who do those big cigarette deal or big whatever deal, those people, they don't want attention. No. <laughs> they want a profile. They don't want nobody to know they were there. And they want to go in and out. Well, Dino, he wants to be 
everywhere. You know, he wants to be the center of attention. So having Dino Bravo around your operation was not the smartest move as far as not drawing attention from the authorities. Um, so obviously, you know, Dino was some somewhere responsible for something. And, and, and instead of uh, being humble about it or anything like that, you know, it's our understanding that Dino couldn't care less and, you know, got a lot of people mad. There was a lot of money lost and, you know, they decided to, to, to make a case out of it. Uh, and it, it was not because he was Dino Bravo that he was going to be any different from anybody else. Um, that's Dino. Uh, and, and, and that's, uh, you know, for a guy who loves attention so much and loves to be the star, and, and, and there, in a lot of way, I mean, he's a very, he's like uh, Andre the Giant, who never lived really as Andre Rusimov. Dino Bravo was Dino Bravo. Uh, I don't know where who was Adolfo Bresciano. Does does he even knew who he was outside of being Dino Bravo? So going into that business, it's kind of a the opposite. You know, if you go into that business, you're supposed to be you know that you know that fly on the wall, nobody notice. You do your thing, you move to the next thing, and, and the less people know who you are and what you're doing, the better. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, that has nothing to do with the Dino Bravo we all know. No, being being a and, bull and, in a china shop is not conducive to to life in that uh, life in that venture. Uh, go ahead, Pat. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. I was just going to say that if there is one thing, one Bertrand said, you know, it's not because it was Dino Bravo that the you know it would have stopped him, uh, stop stop them of, of killing him. If if there's one thing. Perhaps because it was Dino Bravo, they did what they did, you know, because it would send a strong message, you know, if, if we can get rid of, of Dino Bravo, we can't get rid of anyone. So, so, so perhaps, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't even help him uh, being, you know, that, that well-known celebrity here in Quebec. So I guess we'll get into the to the unfortunate end of his life. I want to read a quote here from Bret Hart's book because, uh, again, I've said this in the previous podcast, this is one of my favorite uh, favorite biographies that ever written in, in wrestling anyways. But uh, in Bret Hart's book, he writes, Wrestlers' deaths continued to come in threes. After Andre and Carrie, the boys openly wondered who'd be next. It was Dino Bravo, only 44 years old. On March 10th, Dino was found in his home near Montreal. He'd been shot 17 times so that the precise shots formed a circle in the back of his skull. Rumor was that he had double-crossed the mafia and trafficking of contraband cigarettes. A nervous Dino had recently confided to close friends that his days were numbered. And this is like, man, this is somebody who worked with Dino, who had conversations, meals, you know, all that, all that good stuff, and... Jesus, I, I I can't imagine what what it would have been like for the people in the business. Also, um, how he was found. Uh, it's not nice to talk about, but unfortunately, he was found by his wife, and and thank God she was sleeping. But his daughter, um, he was he was murdered in the course of watching a Montreal Canadiens game. If I if I read everything correctly, yes. Um. 
there's no real way to transition into that, but just what kind of news or what kind of story did this mean in Montreal? Was this like front page, wall to wall, everything? Was there automatically a ton of conjecture? Was this was this on the top of everyone's mind when it happened? Like what what was the state of the news scene in Montreal when this comes out that that this man Dino Bravo was murdered in his own home? It was everywhere. It was everywhere. It made all the news station. It made all the newspapers, most of them front page. And, and you know, that lasted a few days, at least until his funeral. Uh, that because I, I, And it was not like a car accident or anything like that. So there was that old crime thing uh, that, that was unsolved and, and remains unsolved. Um, so obviously, I mean, it made the news it, and because Dino was such a huge star and it was such an unusual way to go. Um, it is it is what it is. I remember faxing all the, the, the Gazette's article to Bill Apter in, in the, for Pro Wrestling Illustrated and, and, and all that. It was a huge story and, and it hit hard because uh, I, th- I believe that Andre passed away Kerry Von Erich passed away in all the, that same time frame. Yeah, that was the uh, same same couple of months, at least for sure. So for wrestling fans, I mean, it was uh, qu- quite the, the shock, and, and for the Montreal wrestling fan, I mean, that's still two of the biggest star of the last ten years uh, that that were gone uh, just like that in their forties. Uh, so that 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 hit hard, obviously, and so. Um, that that's the power of what the Dino Bravo names meant back then, uh, and, and people, you know, on a regular basis, when you have people that that saw him as kids, I mean, that Dino Bravo name is mentioned on a regular basis uh, from here and there when they would talk about wrestling. You know, it's the Gino Gino Brito and the Dino Bravo and the, and, and all of that. So it, it's uh, it's sad because you. You know, he's never going to know his uh, grandchildren. He never learned uh, to, to, to have an adult daughter. Uh, and he, he was never able to to, uh, to see what wrestling has become or, or be a part of the scene locally um, and, and maybe make peace with all of that. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's a very sad story. A sad story among many other sad stories. Uh, I'm not sure about facts though about the, the, the circle on the back of the head that I think that's a little bit more detailed that was ever released but that's okay uh, that's Brett's reality um, but it's uh, 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 it, it Dino was larger than life and he went out larger than life um, so that's uh, that's the Dino Bravo story I guess with um, just I, I can't speak for Brett Hart. Obviously, I'm not, not Brett, but maybe it's one of those things where you know you you hear a tidbit of information, you know, oh they they did this to him or whatever, and then it gets played up, and then that's kind of what you like you said you you have it in your own reality if you were if that that's what he had heard or, or is led to believe, then who who am I to say anything about that? But I mean, it was it was a brutal murder. I mean, don't don't get us wrong. You know, I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, it was it was shot in the head for real many times. You know, so that wasn't 
it's not like it was far from 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 reality but i mean there were so many things being said you know um at the time and and, and you know even more when you look at it from from a you know 15 year perspective so uh, but at the end of the day uh, he, he was he, he was brutally murdered, uh, and, uh, and 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 because of his involvement in in in, in the organized crime, and and because he he effed uh, up a few uh, a few things, uh, so that 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 was his reality, and that that's you know that's 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 what happened. But um, I mean, uh, Dino Bravo's name. Uh, is, is you know will always live here in Montreal because because of that to a degree uh, and of course because of, of you know the wrestler he was and, and the uh, the star he was I mean even even just recently there was a there was a sitcom not a sitcom but uh, just a series uh, a TV series here in, in Montreal and uh, they were uh, uh, the, the plot is that they are back in, in the mid 70s. And they made a character named Dino, Dino Bravo, oh. and you, you know, he was really Dino Bravo, the wrestler. So, so just to show you that, you know, uh, everyone who actually lived through the seventies, the eighties, and, and the early nineties uh, know who Dino Bravo is. And and and, uh, and and in a weird way, because of the way he he he, uh, he died. Uh, probably that he will be remembered uh, for a longer time than than others. Uh, so 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 yeah. I mean that's uh, like Bertrand said. You know, it's 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 a sad story um, for so many reasons. Uh, but you know, that's 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 who Dino Bravo was. When the episode of the Dark Side of the Ring came out, uh, the assassination of Dino Bravo, did that? rekindle interest in his story or has this always kind of been in the background of Montreal sports and, and wrestling fans ever since it was brought back to the news there's there's a few a few newspaper a few a few new, uh, newspapers or, or, or radio station or stuff like that who uh, media who uh, who talked about the documentary and you know, bringing back you know the wrestler, but also how he uh, how he was uh, he was murdered. So yeah, it was it was a little back in, in the news because of it. But at the same time, it, it, it was a, a, an American documentary in English um, that wasn't even on our TV here. It, you know, it was online, so it, it it got interest, but it got mainly interest from people outside of Quebec than in Quebec. Because of you know most people who, who, uh, who, who I mean not most people I mean there's a lot of people who watched it here, uh, but it wasn't mainstream here you know it, it's not on a TV channel like you can just you know uh, flip your, your 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 TV you know you had to it was on Crave TV uh, which you need to be uh, which you need to subscribe to. And uh, through a laptop or an iPad or something, so, 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 I'm, I'm guessing that the same documentary on a, in French on, on a on a TV station, a regular TV station, does a lot more interest and you know create a lot more interest than than that one did. But that documentary was talked about 
everywhere like, like pretty much you know all the other dogs of the ring uh documentaries but uh, if i can compare it to the hbo documentary on andre um uh, my social media were like a lot more busier from that documentary than when i did the hbo on andre which kind of which is kind of surprising if you think of it because andre was a much uh, a much wide worldwide star than, than Dino was an HBO documentary and you know an HBO documentary versus a Vice documentary isn't even comparable when you think of it uh, but uh, but it it, it, it it did create a lot of interest uh, in Montreal it did but to a degree as we start to wrap up this evening um, I'd just like to get your guys thoughts uh, first off with you Bertrand what do you think Dino's legacy is in wrestling? And what do you think that wrestlers can learn, not obviously from the end of his life, but what lessons can you do you think that somebody can take from uh, his career path in wrestling and kind of maybe modify their, their uh, trajectory, if you will? I mean... You know, Dino's time is much different than today, so it's kind of hard to see the influence. I mean, I think Dino's influence, like a lot of the stars of the 80s, is that you have to take care of your business while you're making the money. Uh, you have to invest. You have to take care of it so that when the time comes and the curtain falls and you have to walk out for the last time, that there's a life for you afterwards. That's that's the inspiration that you need to 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 get out of it, it you know. And I wish like guy like Rick Martel and Ray Russo, who who have taken themselves out of the limelight, but you know they took care of their money, invested, worked on 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 their investment after their career, are well off today, living a good life, enjoying life. I mean, I wish there were more stories like their story. Uh, out of those uh, era uh, and it's too bad for Dino that uh, he, he, he did not do the same um, and that that's really I mean I think that's the one thing that people should look at is that he's the prime example of that you need to take care of your business while you're making those big contracts to take care of it making sure that you know it, 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 there's going to be a life for the real you after your character is uh, out of the spotlight. Uh, Pat, I'll ask you, what do you think that Dino's legacy in the Montreal wrestling scene is and uh, will be? It will, it will be a legacy of one of the most popular wrestlers of all time. I mean, there's there's Evil Robert, Johnny Rougeau, Mad Dog Vachon. Uh, if you want to go outside of Quebecers, Edouard Carpentier and Dino Bravo. That's that's I'm sorry that that's that's uh, that's the legacy he 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 he's he having, uh, and and because of the way and and I mean I guess a guy like Kevin Owens will will probably be close to, 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 to those guys, you know, by the end of his career in a different way because, you know, he didn't make a name of, you know, for himself only in Quebec, you know, while, you know, guys like Bravo and, 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 and Rougeau and Vachon and everybody else, you know, were, were 
you know, bigger stars in their own provinces, uh, in their own province. But at the same time, Bravo was, you know, such a character, such a, such a, 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 a such a, a large, you know, big. He was a big character. He was a big time uh, wrestler who, who 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 had the chance to work when wrestling was still on top here in Montreal. So so I mean. Of course, the way he passed away will always be there. That that's that's like the Montreal screw job will always be linked to Montreal. Uh, you cannot, you know, talk about wrestling in Montreal without talking about this. Well, you cannot talk about Dino Bravo without talking about how he died. But uh, to to the sports fans, to the wrestling fans, he will be remembered as one of the most popular wrestlers here in Montreal. And, and for someone like Bertrand and I, uh, who, 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 who grew up with this generation, well, he's probably our, our, you know, one of our favorite wrestlers of all time. You know, I, I know Bertrand was more of a Rick Martel guy, I was a <laughs> guy. So that's that's all, you know, revolving Quebec Montreal. But still, uh, we, I mean, uh, I mean, when when and Bertrand is the perfect answer for this, and and I, I'm going to quote him because I heard him say so many times. But when when people ask us, you know, who's your favorite wrestler, uh, Bertrand always say. And tell me if I'm wrong, Bert, but you always say uh, that, you know, your favorite wrestler is the one that you grew up with. And and, and to me, that, that was Dino Bravo. So, 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 so if you ask me today, who was your favorite wrestler? Who is your favorite wrestler? I'm going to go back to my roots. I'm going to go back to why I fall, I fall in love with the, 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 the world of professional wrestling. And, and, and Dino Bravo is a huge, huge part of that. So... So, so that's going to be his legacy here, and, and that's that's what he means to 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 someone like me. Mad dogs, midgets, and screw jobs—the untold story of how Montreal shaped the world of of wrestling. Sorry, part of my French, if you will. Uh, <laughs> tremendous read. It's going to be uh, a link to it on tinyurlcom slash Canada. Uh, before I let you guys go. Uh, Bertrand, you first. Where can people get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Bertrand, um, and you know, come and join us. We have more projects in the future, and we have that Andrew the Giant book still hot off the press uh, in both French and English. And Pat, how about yourself? How can everybody get in touch with you? Yeah, same thing. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, at Pat Leprad, L-A-P-R-A-D-E. So that's a very French name. So uh, <laughs> uh, always, always fun to uh, talk some wrestling with, uh, with, with you know, any fans. And uh, uh, looking forward to uh, to uh, to talk to 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 any of your listeners about the great uh, wrestling history here in Montreal. Well, I will say that I'm looking forward to whatever next project you guys have on the horizon. Um, once again, thank you both for joining the program tonight. And thank you for all the fantastic work that you do on, on the books. I haven't got the Andre one yet. That's on my list what? of things. I know, I'm awful. What? I've got a stack of books that I have to get through, um, but I'm going to be adding yeah. that one to the list. Um, my stack. What's that? That's no reason. You should see my stack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you probably at least got into yours. I'm still, I'm like, I'm, 
I'm buried in paperwork, as they say. <laughs> See, if he was if he, if he was still with us, I would send Dino Bravo to you to make sure you buy that book. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, me getting it is not is not the the problem. That that's the. I've I've heard nothing but good things for it, so I'm looking forward to picking that one up. But uh, uh, thank you guys both again very much for joining the program tonight, and uh, and I hope to have you both on at a later date for uh, for a, a maybe friendlier topic. But we'll see what what the future brings. Anyways, thank you both uh, very much for joining the program tonight. Thanks for having us. Before we head to the finish of today's program, I'm going to play one more audio clip. Now, this is an interview of Dino Bravo from 1992, where he's kind of laying out the plans of his future for 92 and into 93. And this goes back to something that Pat, Bertrand, and myself were talking about in the earlier interview, is how Dino still saw himself as a main event top guy, regardless of the positioning that he was getting put in. So you hear him talk about that. You'll kind of hear a little bit of dejectiveness in his voice if you listen for it it's there and who knows maybe that's just me projecting i i'm not really sure but it's crazy to think that he has all these future plans which he lays out in this interview and then you know a year from now he's out of the wwf into you know an alleged life that we discussed earlier and then obviously towards his untimely passing so i'm going to play this interview clip next again this is dino bravo from wwf in 1992 and then we're going to head to the finish of the program after this bravo and dino i have to admit you were very impressive at the montreal forum against the barbarians thank you very much raymond you know as you know as i had a motorcycle accident in july and a lot of people thought my career was jeopardized but uh, i came back i feel great i've been working out steady and i'm looking to make an impressive return in the world wrestling federation well, your return was impressive with the Barbarian, and I was quite concerned, and a lot of people were asking me, you know, if Dino Bravo was going to be the same wrestler he was after that motorcycle injury, but the, the question has been answered, and everybody saw it at the Montreal Forum. Dino, you're in great shape. It was a good test, because, you know, Barbarian's the most, one of the most impressive athletes in the World Wrestling Federation, 300 pounds of massive mus- muscles, and uh, it was a test, and I went through it, and I feel good about it, Raymond. Okay, right now, let's talk about the future. Dino Bravo, 1992. What's lined up? Well, whatever they come up with. As you know, my, my job is to stay in tip-top shape, and I'm doing that, and I feel good doing it. As, I, as you say, as, you know, I'm at the peak of my career. Although I'm not getting any younger, I feel better as I ever felt before. And as I said, I'm looking for a lot of competition, and uh, why not championship matches, anything. I'm ready. Well, Dino, you look better now than you have... In your whole career, and actually, you know, this tan helps. Dino just came back from a trip to Hawaii here, and uh, you look very rested. Thank you very much. And, uh, I'd like to wish a happy new year. Everyone in Quebec, especially people in Montreal, have been supporting me the last 15 years, and happy new year to all and each of one of you. Dino, it's always a pleasure to have you here. One thing I want to ask you, are you still bench pressing close to 700 pounds? Well, uh, I'm still pushing the heavy iron, but I'm, as you know, I came back from an injury, I don't want to get hurt, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing my workouts with the heavy weights, but not as heavy as I did five, six years ago, because it can hurt you in the ring. I can still do a good job doing what I'm doing right now. You know, you made quite a turnaround. The people in Montreal are crazy about you right now. Everybody's talking, Dino Bravo, Dino Bravo. Are you going to go into politics? Are you going to be going for mayor or something? No, this is wrestling has been my whole life. I still love it. And my ambition is to still wrestle for the next few years. 
As I finish up today's program, I just really need to thank the guests that I had on today's program. Uh, Connor McKenna from TSN 690, the English sports leader in Montreal. Uh, Pat LaPrade and Bertrand DeBear. Now, once again, all of us wrestling fans owe Pat LaPrade a tremendous debt of gratitude for his work in getting that Dark Side of the Ring, the assassination of Dino Bravo episode done, because honestly, it wouldn't exist without him. And Bertrand DeBear honestly does so much fantastic work in literature. I know that when I had them on the program, I had really brought up the Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs book, but they have done uh, tremendous others. Obviously, we're, they eviscerated me for not getting the Andre the Giant book. Uh, that is on its way, I'm happy to report, and that one is going to be available, the link to it, at least at tinyurl.com slash grapplingwithcanada, so no more eviscerating me as, as you heard on the program, but... Also, Bertrand is the one who's behind the Pat Patterson biography, which I'm also looking forward to getting that one as well. Not like I'm trying to telegraph anything from later episodes of this podcast. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But <laughs> um, again, these two just do a tremendous job of, of really bringing the, the history of the Quebec and more specifically Montreal's uh, wrestling scene to really all of us fans, not just Canadian fans. And I... You know, it's something that we we talked about, and it gets overlooked. You know, especially out in the West, we don't really have a large connection with Quebec. Although in Manitoba, we have a very large French Canadian population, and we have very large French Canadian events and Métis events, uh, like the Festival de Voyageur that runs every February. But I digress. One of the points that Connor brought up is something that I want to touch on before we really get to the end of the program today, and that is connectivity. And that's not just and obviously, connectivity with your family and with your friends is very important. I highly encourage everybody, especially in this time of the pandemic, you know, reach out to your friends, reach out to your family, maybe do it more than you would have normally, because God only knows what this what this thing is bringing to everybody, right? So it doesn't always matter what you are going through. Maybe you're in a fantastic place in life, and, and truthfully, I hope that you are. But you don't know what your friends are going through. You don't know what your family is going through. So I highly encourage everybody, take that little bit of time. Reach out to your family. Reach out to your friends. Let them know you love them. And that goes as well for even just people you talk to on Twitter. I know that many of us have you know, probably hundreds or thousands of followers. And maybe you don't really know them. But maybe you should take that little bit extra time to understand their points of view on some things. Now, obviously, there are points of views that you should be omitted, uh, queuing on and bullshit like that. I don't mean to swear, and I don't mean to make a light of the situation, but that's the reality. But if we all did a little bit better of a job to get to know one another, to get to know each other's backstories, not just Western Canadians and Quebecers, not just Western and Eastern Canadians, not just Canadians in the international market, but Everybody, if we just took that little bit of extra time, get to know somebody else, drop a line. Hey, how are you doing? Are you holding up through this whole pandemic thing? This thing is hard. It's been really hard on a lot of people. And we just had passed the Bell Let's Talk Day for anybody who doesn't know that it shines a light on uh, mental illness initiatives in Canada. That's every uh, January 27th, I believe. Look, it's a it's a fantastic promotion that they do and I shouldn't call it a promotion that's a very poor choice of words but it's a great thing that they do but this is not something that we should limit one day a year to be talking about mental health is something that affects almost everyone and it's really 
it's really touched my family this year in a way that I've never felt before. Uh, I've been a strong proponent of, uh, of mental health initiatives before this year. I'm even more so now. So again, I can't stress it enough. Everybody reach out to somebody, tell me you love them. You know, those very simple words could really change somebody's perspective. It can make their day. And, and isn't that what we're all here for, right? Is to really try and, and do something special for somebody else, make a positive impact in somebody else's life. And, uh, that's, that's all I can say about that. I don't want to get all super emotional and super, um, uh, preachy or whatever with you guys, but those are my thoughts. And that's just kind of what I wanted to leave you all with the program. So (sighs) with that being said, join us next month for another episode of grappling with Canada. I'm going to be giving little spoilers of uh, what you can expect on that episode in the next few weeks on Twitter. So you want to keep it locked at at six underscore podcast. Once again, tinyurl.com slash grappling with Canada is where you can go for the links to all the books and all the uh, uh, people that we had on this program and the past program. Uh, Also youtube.com slash C slash six sided podcast. We are racing towards 1000 subscribers. And like I talked about earlier on in the episode, once we hit that magical mark, I am going to be giving away a tremendous prize pack to one lucky viewer or listener. It depends how you look at it, but and honestly, thank you, thank you, whoever you are listening, wherever you are in the world, you could have been anywhere else in the world, you could have been doing anything else in the world right now, but you chose to listen to this program, and for that, I am forever thankful. So for myself, the Taxman, for the guests that I had on today, I will leave you as I always do, and I mean it especially today. Take care of yourselves and each other. Take it easy, everyone. 